evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about characterization and alternate universes, and this comes from a question um, from Ellie, and Jilly's going to read the question out, and then we're going to get, we're going to talk about it. So Ellie's question was, when working with AUs, how much of the environment should you take into account when adjusting the characterizations? For instance, would a Gibbs in the Ties That Bind universe be the same driven bastard as in the original, or would he have a more controlled personal interaction based on social training and politics that countered it? How do you determine what are the intrinsic parts of his personality that can't change without it resulting in just an original character with the same name? I need to get and to that, the page. And... It, we will. I want, just want to kind of preface talking about that by saying that there's really, when you're talking about two, an AU, there's kind of two different approaches to an AU. And let's put them in two big categories. One of them is where your character is in completely different circumstances doing a completely different job. And that is the harder thing to do because there's no basis for similarity. Okay. And that's where you have to really get down to the core of the character. And so we'll talk about both of these. The other is where you're, you've got an AU, but your character is still functionally the same. So using Ellie's example of Ties That Bind, Gibbs might still be an NCIS special agent. And that makes it easier to adapt because all you're doing really is adjusting for the world circumstances, but the character is still functionally in the same circumstances. They potentially saw the same backstory. An example of the other, also using Gibbs, would be Sunrider's um, Fate Protects Fools, um, Children and Ships Named Valor, I think is the Which full is title. banging. Is banging. Bang, bang, uh, and in that bang. one, Gibbs, Gibbs is a starship captain. So there's really no f familiar basis for what the character is doing. So when you're thinking about an AU and your approach, it's going to be very different if your character is basically sitting in similar circumstances to canon versus the world they're you know they're an owner of a coffee shop so it's a it's a really different kind of set of things to do what i would say about if um just to address ellie's specific question about gibbs and then we'll go out we'll do something a little bit broader um i picture gibbs and ties that bind being a very frustrated man um i think he's probably a dom with um organizational training um, you have to remember that in, t t in the ties that bind worlds, that, that pleasure training is expensive. Um, so if he's had training, it's probably at La, La Petite Mart, um, which is basically, uh, I don't want to say it's like community college, <laughs> but there's one in every city. It's like a state university as opposed to going right. to a private university. But, you know, we, you and I talked quite a bit about the NCIS world in Ties That Bind. Mm -hmm. And like you had said to me when we were talking about Gibbs was that, you know, Gibbs loved his wife so much that he probably would have ensured that he had good training for her. So he probably would have done like one, at least saved up for at least one session mm -hmm. at La Petite Mort. Um which I think is, you know, spot on that that's what he would have done. So he would have functional training. But the first question you have to ask yourself, I think, in that circumstance with Gibbs is, does Shannon, is Shannon alive? Because there's reason to think that in a Ties That Bind universe, those events might have shaken out differently. She might not have been killed. And I someone think like Gibbs. That's a very important question because in Ties That Bind, in the function of Ties That Bind, killing a collared submissive would be an immense offense it, it immense to the point where if it had happened gibbs could have killed the man responsible in public in front of a thousand witnesses and wouldn't have gone to jail for it it would have been considered justified 
That's and the kind of world that Ties That Bind was. But I, if I was writing Gibbs and Ties That Bind, um, because I wouldn't want to pair him with Tony, I would make Shannon live just to make my life easier. Yeah. <laughs> now I pl- I plotted it that sh- I think that I think I plotted that Shannon was dead, but that Tony was only on Gibbs's team as a favor tomorrow, and it was short term. Um, so their relationship dynamic was very different, but Tony was very, I plotted Tony very differently. So it was an exercise and what does Tony's life look like? How would his life have evolved in, in this kind of universe? And for him, I had to go back to the beginning, right. To figure out how he would Mm -hmm. be in that universe and what it would look like. And because he's different, his interactions with Gibbs are different. And the reason that he would, you know, even tolerate kind of Gibbs, I think, Gibbs would still be very um, probably autocratic. He would expect to be behaved. And I think that, and the way I plotted it was that Tony was a switch who chose to be marked as a submissive, that Gibbs is sort of, um, boy, we came up with a word for it, I think, but I couldn't think, I can't remember what it was. It's not sexism, but it's like some, it's the same equivalent to, for, with, with dynamic that he thinks that um, switches are people who just haven't made up their mind. So he doesn't have a lot of respect for it. And it well, I think that's friction. a really interesting direct mirror to how bisexual people are treated. Um, I have a cousin who's bisexual, and her mother calls her greedy. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was like, greedy? <laughs> she says she's going to get it wherever she can. She doesn't care. And I was like, are you slut shaving your own daughter? She says, no, she's just greedy. <laughs> She doesn't have a problem with it. I mean, she's not being an asshole. Um, she just thinks that's what that's what bisexuality means that um, that you just get it where you can. And I'm like, that's not how that works. But I thought if he was a dude, that would be how it would work. <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I didn't mean it. I'm not such any men. But you know how easy it is to get a man in bed. Come on now. Yes, it is. It's not. It's not complicated. <laughs> it's not complicated at all. I um, remember once in college, I was bored. That happens sometimes. You, you get bored, and um, um, I was I, I I went to the commons, and there was this guy there that I knew casually. I I, I you know met him a couple of times, and he's there, and he's bored, and we're we play some pool. I was bad at it on purpose and you know and he taught me some things because you know i'm doing i'm uh, i'm, I'm uh-huh. working my thing okay i'm working my thing and finally i was like why am i bullshitting this so i just turned to him and said hey you want to go back to my room and get your dick wet <laughs> that'll work and he said yes yes i do <laughs> and that's what we did i remember telling my husband that story and his mouth dropped open he said you what <laughs> Well, it's like I needed to get some sleep, and I was tired of the 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 pussy footing around it. I wanted to go <laughs> pussy inserting. I needed to get some, and um, he provided. He he actually provided for two years. He was my what you call it backup, my Bob, um, your my, your booty call, my bud, my my backup dick, <laughs> backup backup dick work side piece. <laughs> Side piece implies that you've got a main piece, but yeah, no. backup back back pieces for when usually when you're when you're between pieces. I swore off um, having a main piece 
around my junior year of college because fuck that shit. Um, <laughs> men get attached. They do. They're so messy. <laughs> so the woman who's been married for, let's see, I got married in 2005. 15 years. Wow. So 15 years this summer. Yeah. That's a long time to pick a man. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that the decisions that you make with characterization um are important when you're when you're thinking about how you're gonna build your AU. Um and you need to define who your character is to you so that you can bring those characteristics in to your story. Um so if you had a character like Gibbs, he's driven, he's stubborn, um he has a skewed sense of what justice is. Uh, he's guilty of cold-blooded murder. Mm-hmm. He um, thinks the rules don't apply to him. <laughs> so you got to um, think about these characterizations and what you want to do with Gibbs in your story is how much you bring with you. Because Gibbs, Gibbs in, 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 if, if you have all the events of Gibbs' life go exactly the same and you put him in a tight fine universe, he's doing the same damn job. And assuming he's got the same exact team, right? You've worked all that out so that it all comes together. He functionally, actually, to to Ellie's example, would not be the same because he's in a universe where the extremes of his behavior would not be tolerated. He would not have been able to get promoted behaving that way. No, he'd have got got put on the cross regularly by Morrow if he behaved the way he did in canon. So he wouldn't. So he'd be be better behaved. In some, hey Silver, um, in some, at least in some ways, he would be more contained, and there'd be none, none of that head slapping stuff would not be going no. on. Um, so y- you have to account for what would the world rules do to somebody like him. So he, you, like I said, you can have all the same events that might have gone down the same way, um, but also he wouldn't have this big secret of having murdered Hernandez because nobody would care that he murdered Hernandez. They probably would have encouraged it. Um, because he probably would have had help. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, because that that's just not something that um, you would uh, allow to go unpunished because it would diminish uh, the rights and um, protections of other submissives. Right. What it would also do, Gibbs could actually be a very good person in a ties that bind universe because there's a lot of discipline around him. Um, there are solutions that I believe that he would find comforting. Um, if somebody uh, under his authority misbehaved, he could spank their ass or kick them off his team. <laughs> right. He'd probably spank their ass and then kick them off his team. I mean, I think he would thrive. And he can actually be quite comfortable in ties that bind. Now, you can twist him anyhow you want. It just depends on what you want to do with the character. But for me, I would want to kind of get Gibbs out of the way. I wouldn't want to yeah. make him an, an antagonist because that's kind of boring. I mean, you can do it if that would appeal to you. But to me, that would be boring. Yeah. I mean, the way I, the story I plotted, he is kind of neutral in the story. Um now, I had originally, and the funny thing is, speaking of like, you know, character, characterization in terms of plot, um, I had originally, my plot for Ties That Bind for NCIS had centered around the episode um, Swack. And um, I was talking to Kira one day. Kira says, I rem- refresh my memory. What was the issue with Swack? What was going on? And I said, well, and I explained about the girl who had, who had lied about being raped because she'd been found tied up and she was embarrassed. And Kira said, 
that would never have happened in ties at mine. Who would be embarrassed about being caught tied up? And I was like, <laughs> oh, shit. I mean, at that shit. point, for, for that for specific scenario, the dom who left her tied up would face criminal charges. Right. So right. there would be, but he died, right? He did die. That's what happened is he left to go run across the street and get them snacks or something and left her tied up, which is just foolish. You don't do that. Um, and he got hit by a car. Mine, she'd have had real restraints with a, with a safety release. So she right, wouldn't she have been her. left tied up like that. It's in, right. you know, that would it not just, be, it just, um, it just wouldn't life. have happened. So, um, so I was like, oh crap, I got to center my plot around something else <laughs> because that whole, that whole, the, the impetus for that person sending plague doesn't exist anymore, which is that she felt that NCIS didn't, didn't investigate her, her daughter's rape properly and because it just wouldn't have happened so i had to like you know i kept it in the same basic timeline i centered it around uh twilight instead um because i didn't want to like deal with it's a lot easier to figure the fallout when you're early in canon right like how much of this could have happened but the further you go in canon in an au situation like that the harder it is to explain why the way i plotted tony why he would even be on that team so um anyway but it, in some cases, you have to kind of depend on the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. We talked about that earlier. We were talking about, like, um, like building an AU from the ground up and trying to insert historical events into it. Like, how would World War II have happened in a Sentinel world? I mean, you think about it. You think about the events of World War II, the atrocities that took place. Um, in a world full of Sentinels and guides, I don't see how... It just wouldn't have happened the same way. It couldn't have happened. Right. So, but that's one of the things we do is we kind of go, okay, because we don't want to re, and if you ever want to hear us rat holing about reconstructing world history, it's the, uh, the little black dress series about the psionic rift. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> Even angels fear to tread there, okay? I mean, right. <laughs> we just, it we got, just it's really fucking frustrating. We were all on Wikipedia. <laughs> people we're looking at you're looking at events that could and the thing is we, we actually put some good answers mm -hmm. but the thing is is that here's the thing about this disbelief there's the the reader comes to your story with a willing suspension of disbelief which means in an au of fan, fan fiction you can hand wave away not explaining the entire history of the world and the reader for the most part, is okay. The people who aren't okay are the ones who do not come with willing suspension of disbelief. They are there. They're expecting you to make them believe. And that's two completely different mindsets. So you kind of have to, you can't write for the person who is prepared to, t to tear your story down before they've ever read one word. But most readers come in believing that what you're writing is possible until you break their suspension of disbelief. Well, the thing that's is, why it's important. That, I think that fan fiction is supposed to be a comfort. Mm -hmm. So they come into it. Most readers come into it to comfort you. They, they're seeking comfort. They're seeking something familiar. Um, if they've been reading your work for a long time, they trust you um, to deliver and to not um, uh, hurt them by not warning appropriately. Uh, so whenever I post something on my site, I... I do try to keep in mind my, my reader based. I, uh, I don't write for the reader. I write for myself, but I do make sure, um, that I am giving a consistent, um, presentation. So when you read my work, you're not going to come out the other side of it utterly devastated. 
that's just not right. something that I do. But if you want to be utterly devastated, I do have a list of, of stories that you can read. <laughs> Kira has her I need a good cry list and she's welcome to share it. She's willing to share it with you. If you want to sob like a child, read Sandstorms by Mission. <laughs> Mithrion, Mithrion. I can't say their name. No, I will not. I'm just saying. I, some things once for me, some things once, are, once is enough. I, I don't <clears> even <throat> do it to myself over and over. Um, like, well, that's I only, an angry I only, cry too. <laughs> yeah, like, I only read Freedom I only read Freedom once. Kira reads it every year. I, I don't understand that level of masochism. <laughs> I mean, it was it's great, but I only needed it's to beautiful. do that to myself one time. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose by Sadonjic. I was saying, I thought Sinodochic is high pronounced in my head. I love you, girl, whatever you are. It's all the love over here. It is a beautiful story. It is um, a story about grief and heartbreak and and healing and closure. And I love it. Crying and crying. Big, ugly crying. Um, it, uh, my whole face gets wet. It's just like, I just cry. Just cry. Someone give Ravina a leak. It is a Stargate fic. Um, and it is a death fic. You, you do need to know that, you know, going into it, that um, Rodney is on Earth and, and John is dead. Um, I wouldn't. I'm not gonna. That's a spoil. I'm not sure if that's a spoiler or not. But he's John Shepard is dead in the story. Um, so don't go into it thinking um, there's going to be a happy ending because there's not. Um, but it's beautiful. Um, and it'll break your heart. Um, and the characterization of Rodney and that fic shaped my personal headcanon for um, for for Rodney. Just like when I read uh, Time in a Bottle um, by Astolat. Is it, is it Time in a Bottle or is it something else in the bottle? Is it Time in a Bottle? Yeah. By, yeah. by Astolat. It shaped how I saw the relationship between John and Rodney. It, um, it's beautiful. It's romantic. It's sexy. It, it has a lovely ending. Um, nothing hurts and everything is good. I mean, they're in a terrible situation when it starts, uh, but it's just gorgeous. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And it really shaped me as a writer in Stargate and, and how I approached the um, pairing of um, John and Rodney. I also say that Fair Trade by Estefi did that as well. Fair Trade yeah. is a coffee AU, but it um, what I learned about um, what I saw in the characterization of John Shepard in that AU, um, his vulnerability, his um his anger his grief about his situation his his desire to succeed with his business um and to, and to just you know keep living and and how he how he falls in love with Rodney is beautiful yeah it is some stories are just they're so beautifully written and sometimes even the happy parts make you cry cuz it's so beautifully written it's like mm -hmm. that was just so lovely i mean the connection and the the interaction is just mm. gorgeous. But you're talking. You're talking about um, when you mention um, uh, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. It, shaping your perception of Rodney as a character. It's it, one of the things we talked about way, way back when we did the. Um, ooh, what was that challenge called? It was the it was the other world challenge we did where you had to put your characters into either a different fandom or a whole I think it's called whole new world actually. Um it was. 
we had we did some podcasts back then around how to adapt your character to an AU. And one of the things we talked about was that some characters are easier to adapt because they have traits you can latch onto. They have mannerisms and characteristics and things you can kind of go and grab on and make them recognizable in almost any setting. And other characters, it is a lot harder to do because the core of them, what 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 defines them, what makes them unique, may not be. It may be very internal and it may not be recognizable. Um, or easily recognizable when you put them in another situation. So that's one thing you have to consider. Um, and Rodney's one of those characters that's easy to make recognizable because of his brilliance, because he's snarky. Um, it's easy to, to put him in a different circumstance and even maybe give him a whole different job or whatever. And you go, yeah, that's Rodney. Other characters are, are a little more inscrutable. It's like, even if you've nailed their internal characteristics and you've got the, the, the GMC, the character, character's internal GMC down pat. In a completely different set of circumstances, they may just not look, you may go, but they, they don't feel familiar. And some characters are just like that. I'm trying to think of who. We, we talked in some of those podcasts. Um, oh, um, GMC stands for Goals, Motivation, and Conflict? <laughs> yeah, GMC, sorry. Someone's going to ask. <laughs> Sometimes we'll throw out a writing term, and if you don't know it, let us know, and, and we'll and we'll fill you in. If you look up GMC in Google, you'll hit a whole bunch of articles about um of developing a character, and your character um needs to have goals, motivations, and conflicts to be you know a full fledged human being thing that you're building, right? Because you've got external, you've got the stories GMC, which is completely different than what's going on with your character. Because what motivates your character, what drives them, um, usually your character's motivation is driven by conflict. And usually um, their goals are based around what motivates them. So these things are all interconnected and you need to figure it out. And that a lot is also shaped by their core personality traits. Now, somebody like, you know, when you think of characters that seem to have a really definable set of characteristics, characters like Styles or characters like, um, you know, Tony Rodney, Denoso, Gibbs, Danny, Rodney. Danny Williams. Um, yeah, Danny. Hitting his dialogue, if you nail Danny Williams' dialogue, it's like a you just create this animal in your story. I mean, it is really easy to do once you get there. Because I... He has a very distinct really. personality. Have you if you if you've read any of Estefi's Hawaii Five O stories or I actually don't know how many she has. I, I read her most recent one. Um I, I've her, read the her, most her, recent one, but I have read some of them. Her dialogue for Danny is so spot on, it almost is creepy. It's like <laughs> it, it's like he's talking to you. And like okay. Um and so when you have characters like that, but characters like John, Steve McGarrett, um you put them in different circumstances and it can just feel, they can just feel not the same. Right. So you have to, and that's just something you got to be prepared for. If the character you're doing your focus around is someone who's def really defining characteristics are very internal as opposed to something outwardly expressed. About someone like John Shepard or um, Steve McGarrett is that they're emotionally unavailable. Someone and I think it might have been, I don't think it was Estefi. There's a Stargate fic where someone in the, the, the writer in the narrative said that John Shepard walked around Atlantis with a Teflon coating. And it stands out because um, Rodney, Styles, Danny, uh, they emote all over the place. 
So when they are in the scene, they eat that scene up. So they stand out. And you can use that quirk in their in their characterization to move them around different fandoms and they're recognizable. Someone mentioned John Watson. John Watson is unimpressed. Mm-hmm, very. It's just about everything but Sherlock Holmes. So when you slap him down in a room, he's just not impressed with anything you got to say. <laughs> when I wrote him for um was it 10 years after the war? It was a sentinel fic, Harry and Hermione. Um, and I did a female Sherlock Holmes and a male John Watson. And when I was putting John in the scene, um, I just felt like John needed to be this quiet kind of central um, focus for Sherlock where he's like her calm in the storm. Mm-hmm. And when I wrote Hold My Coffee, I kind of mirrored that same principle where Meredith, when John first met her, was kind of like this hurricane. And through knowing each other and learning about each other and then finally becoming romantically involved with each other, um, he became her calm spot, a place where she could retreat um, and focus her attention and not be... uh, just a just a place of calm in her in her chaos, and that helped me center the character of of writing Rodney as a woman. Um, and when you change it, the gender of a character, it changes everything. But I do feel like even though I changed everything, <laughs> except her career, I gave her because you know Rodney's smart. So why wouldn't a female Rodney be just as smart? Um, but I do feel like that she's all there. And and Rodney, you see the character of McKay shining through through Meredith. I feel like I did a good job with that. Um, but I was worried that I would not. Um, I didn't want to write Rodney with just girl parts. I, I right. knew Meredith had the female experience, um, but still have the core of who Rodney was, which is smart, sarcastic, a little mean, um, but with good intentions. <laughs> I would oh speaking of coffee. You know that thing that's been running around with the instant coffee with the with the foam and the shit? No. Caldonna? No. Okay, so there's this thing <laughs> where you take instant coffee and water and you put it in a bowl and you um whip it and it forms a like a whipped cream foam because of something with the instant coffee. Okay, so here's the thing. So it looked really good because it was like it looked really good on the YouTube video, and Alton Brown led me astray. I want to just say right out now, Alton Brown led me astray because I did. I went and got some fucking instant coffee, not the brand he got, and maybe that was a mistake. I should have got his brand, maybe I don't know. Um, y'all, it was atrocious. The idea of doing anything with instant coffee gives me hives. I mean, as soon as you said that thing with instant coffee, I was like, surely not to eat. What were you dying something with it? Because I can't conceive of what you need instant coffee I for. do keep, I should have used the instant espresso that I have because I do have instant espresso to put in my cakes. I tend to put instant espresso in my chocolate cake because it's really good. I, I could see instant espresso maybe, but still, it's just, I just don't really have any. In cake, I can it see it was for baking. burned. I, I'm it gonna, tasted like burnt something coffee byproduct i was so disappointed because it looked so beautiful and it was so gross so i'm gonna try to make my own with like a heavy cream and a real coffee i think i'm gonna make like a you know what i mean 
Because yeah. what, it, what it is is you whip the coffee and then you put it in milk and mix it together and it makes this kind of latte. So I'm thinking if we mixed, if we did like a, maybe a cup of heavy cream um, and whipped it and then flavored it with coffee, like real coffee, you know, the, the, the kind you'd actually want to drink and then put that in milk, it would be heavy as fuck. But I think it would be really good. Nothing wrong with heavy if it tastes good. So, yeah. Anyways. Don't don't let Alton Brown lead you astray like he did me. It's, it's probably my own fault for buying the, the instant coffee that I bought. I should have bought what he had. Maybe that would have made a difference. I don't know. But it was terrible. It was honestly terrible. I would I would never have done anything with instant coffee. If somebody said we're making something with instant coffee, I'd been like, it better not be for eating. Garden with it or something. Yeah, yeah. He did use an instant espresso, and maybe I should have as well, but I didn't. I made a mistake. Mistakes were made. It was gross. Um, I don't recommend it at all. But maybe the heavy cream was like the the flavored whipped cream that you could make with coffee and heavy cream would be really good. And you could put it on top of some chocolate milk. I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at that idea. <laughs> you just kind of mix it in. We got to get this right before September 29th, though, because that's coffee day. So, National Coffee Day. So, we got we to gotta have a good coffee thing to celebrate the day with. Oh, rogue. Go to the corner. <laughs> Anyways, don't. Instant coffee is the devil, okay? <laughs> it is. It has, it has no purpose in your life or in your kitchen. Just maybe some instant espresso, but not instant coffee. Um, I do tend to put instant espresso in my chocolate milk. I... Don't don't judge me. <laughs> I'm not judging you. <sighs> a, little, a little bit. I mean, I would be, you know, I'd be willing to put a little. Campana is one of my favorite things. I go to the, um, get a shot of espresso with whipped cream on the top. Mm. But yeah, yeah, definitely, if you're making chocolate cake, put a little coffee in it. It's amazing. Just a little bit, not a lot. You don't have to put a lot, but what it will do will make the chocolate richer. It's very good. It's a teeny bit. But speaking of coffee, coffee is actually, when it comes to food choices, some characters have some very distinct things we, we associate them with when it comes to, like, food choices or when it comes to um, what they drink. And, like, Rodney has a boner for coffee. So if you're trying to be sure that Rodney is recognizable as Rodney, and Rodney's actually pretty easy in general to make recognizable, but something like, you know, coffee styles. We think of styles. We think of curly fries. You know, I mean, some characters you can help to kind of remember things like food choices. But when you've got the difficult characters, um, one thing that can help is to ground. In, even if your AU is wildly different, is ground them in similar life circumstances so that you mirror their life circumstances in some fashion, so that you can kind of have a reason for their character being a lot the same as it was on the show. Um, like John, you could have him have a fractured relationship with his father or um, come up with whatever reason it is why he is so, you know, like Kira said, emotional Teflon. Um, and so that way you can have him be, look somewhat similar, you know, because if you put John in completely different circumstances where he's got a great relationship with his father, his mother's alive, um, and he's running a coffee shop, you're going to have a hard time with the emotional Teflon thing explaining why that's there. We look at, I thought about how that would work um, when I wrote The Air the Angels Breathe. Um, mm -hmm. And this is John who mutated as a child, um, very small child. Um, his mother was horrified. His father was instantly 
overwhelmingly a beast about protecting his son and his son's rights and refused to give his son to the government. And this created a story, this, this created a relationship between John and Patrick that is impenetrable because for John, his daddy is his hero. You know, he kept him safe. He kept mutants safe. He changed, he changed the world for his son. So this is, the, this is a John that grew up safe and secure and, um, firmly in the belief that his father loved him more than anybody else, including the woman that he married. And so he's one of my favorite lines is when Rodney tells him that John is ruining him for the rest of the universe. And John says, well, no one deserves you more than me anyway. But John and Kenny would never have said something like that. This John is, but you, he, he expects to be loved. <laughs> right. He, <laughs> And that's one of the things you have to account for is how is my world changing the character? Also, how is my world keeping the character the same? And that really has to be, I think, one of the most challenging aspects of doing a, f and rewarding in a, after a fashion in doing a f fan fiction AU is the character work, is making that character recognizable to the reader but also yes perfectly in their world like yes it makes sense that this character grew up in this world but this i really believe that if if tony Donoso was born in this world that this is the way he would act i was totally sold on sunrider's characterization of tony in that um star trek au actually all of the characters they all like resonated that that is that character and that's exactly the way they would be in a Star Trek AU. Um, Tony was 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 a uh, bonded. I don't know how, how you would. He, Tony was a trill. He 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 wasn't the trill. He was the host. What do you call that? How would you explain um, that? He was um, he was he, he was hosting a trill. Um, so he had this. And of all the characters in in NCIS, who's the most likely to walk down the path of going? Sure, I'll, I'll be your host, Tony. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's another character that would have been like, yeah, I'm on board with that. Um, so in that story, I was like completely sold on every single character, even Jenny Shepard. I was like, this is the way this character would be if they, and that's that's good character work, that the character is different different enough to account for the world they live in, but recognize them and going, yeah, if you took this exact person and you had them born in the Star Trek universe, I totally believe that this is the way they would come out. Or if they were born in Middle Earth, I totally believe that this is what would happen if this character was an elf. You know, I mean, and that's that's the goal is to have the reader see that, see that um, they linked. It's in the link library already, I think. It's called. Um, oh no, it's not. I fibbed. It's not there yet. Uh, but somebody linked it up above. It's called uh, "Fate Protects Fools, Small Children, and Ships Named Valor." Let me go back up, up and get the link. So we can stick it I'll in the. Podcast link library. Yeah, someone could grab um, the link for that for that one again for me. I'll I'll put it in the library this time. Um, but also I think it's important that you need to have a firm grasp of your. Can you guys hear my dog? Mm -hmm. <laughs> he can hear. Um, it's a husky, so he hears sirens. He's probably hearing a siren from somewhere in the city, and it's agitating him. Um, so he's. He's he's bark he's he's howling a little bit. It's close to midnight. Not, it it could be the midnight bark. I don't know. He's not super he's not super loud, but I can hear him you yeah. know, in the background there. But anyway, he's gonna get the whole neighborhood agitated if he if he keeps it up. Um 
<laughs> I saw what you did there, Drift. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what I would say um, is that, yes, it's important that your character be recognized, but you also need to have a foundation in your story for the changes that you make so that it resonates and makes sense to your reader. And this is about story craft and growing as a writer. Um, you can be lazy about it in fandom, but if you if you ever want to write professionally, you need to be able to build a character foundation that your character can stand on and be recognizable across multiple works if you want to go that route. You need to know where they come from, who they love, who they hate, um, who they fuck, who they want to fuck. I mean, it's important who they used to fuck. Someone um, emailed me and told me I had a filthy mouth. They listen to my podcast. And I'm like, <laughs> I, giggled. Uh, I giggled. I totally giggled. Hey, Ellie. I, I laughed my ass off. And so I just responded, LOL. Because, <laughs> 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 yeah, I do. <laughs> part, part of part of being adult getting to say fuck as often as you want whenever you want <laughs> provided it won't get you fired right i'm my own damn boss fuck it but anyways yeah so you need to know these things about your character and when it comes to a fandom character especially a character that isn't fully explored in canon this gives you an opportunity to build your characterization skills and you need to take advantage of it because what stands out in works that are really popular is not the plot it's the characterization and if you're on a fic fine site it's the sex i'm just <laughs> well i just noticed that that sunrider story fate protects fools it has its own entry on fan lore which <laughs> <laughs> there you go and the thing is, is when somebody says why you should read this story, it's on the on the fan lore site. The, one of the first things they call is because it works. They said because it works. Every character is drawn in such a way that their species fit their canon personality, and it works. Plus, it's funny as hell. Um, so I'll give you, in case anybody wants to look at that. But the first thing the person called out is the character work. Um, because when you're putting characters in unfamiliar circum, you know, in a different world, but whether it's a completely new world or whether it's, um, it just an AU, but like, we'll call it an adjacent world. Cause like a coffee, you know, if you're doing a, writing a contemporary fandom in like a coffee shop AU, you don't have to worry about adapting technology and, you know, what planet were they born on? And there, I mean, there's degrees of work, right? Like if you're keeping them in a similar world, you don't have to figure out what, you know, technology would have been like and how it would have impacted them as they grew up. And it's just a lot more work to put somebody in like a sci-fi AU that doesn't, isn't natively there. Um, versus what I, what we kind of call overlay AUs, which is like a soulmate AU or a sentinel AU, or those are kind of like an overlay as opposed to different, a different setting. Because in theory, you're going to write the characters in the same circumstances, but they're soulmates or there are there's sentinels and guides or whatever. And those are all very different approaches to how you do the character work. Um, it, I kind of specialize in writing the AU. Yeah, I mean, some people gravitate towards AU. And well, I mean, honestly, everything's an AU, but it's a matter of 
how far are you steering away from canon and how much are you adding to the world? And you're, you really gravitate, especially in a lot of your past writing and okay, Harry Potter. Um, yeah. Toward improving the world by giving more depth and filling in the blanks and, and doing that gives you the room to come up with more interesting and unique plot lines. One of my favorite parts of writing Harry Potter when I wrote Harry Potter um, was the ritual magic, was exploring ritual magic. And I think that stands out in my writing that I really enjoyed that whole thing about creating ritual circles and um, building um, magic and exploring um, um, a very, I would, I would consider a very integral part of magical craft um, that is basically obliterated in Harry Potter unless you count the, the the two rituals that Riddle tried to do, one in the Chamber of Secrets and of course the one where he completed um, uh, his resurrection. And it's um, it's sad that those are the only two rituals that we got exposure to in, in Harry Potter because um, there's there's so much that could be explored that the richness is, is missing from the magic in Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a it's one written for children. I mean, you have to keep that in mind. Harry Potter was not written for an adult audience. It was written for you know, for it's 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 YA, um, and that does make a difference. Um, it's just, yeah. Sometimes you you come across a part of something in a fandom that is um, kind of underexplored that you can kind of dig in and play with. And for me, that was ritual magic in Harry Potter. Um, and then you, know you did what? the I have whole. My own page on Facebook. I don't recommend it. Um, and then it, then you did the whole thing with exploring, you know, bringing the Diverger in and set of the goblins, and that opened up a whole new things to explore because it gave you the it gives you what I like about that approach is it gave you <coughs> an opportunity to explore ritual magic in a way that actually fundamentally wouldn't have contradicted canon because she didn't explore you know the you know and I hate using this term but she didn't explore the goblins pretty much at all no. so you could do almost anything you want with what's going on under that bank anything. Um, in fact, one of the ideas that um, I have a zero draft for was that the Blue Wizards um, actually used um, that Ragnarok's people um, when they created a Agarthi. How was I thinking that in my head? I don't know. Agarthi. I think you Agarthi. Yeah. Agarthi. Um, that they actually uh, punched a hole uh, between dimensions and created a pathway from um, Arda to Earth. And the Blue Wizards. Uh, passed through that path and because they aren't from earth they keep they keep getting reborn and dying over and over again um and i was going to have them be reborn as draco and harry and they end up harry goes to the bank after the war and um ragnar realizes that he's got a maya on his hands and not a not, not a human wizard and um he finds out that uh Draco is also one, and he yeets their asses back through, <laughs> back through the portal to Middle Earth. <laughs> get get back where you came from. You're not supposed to be here. <laughs> and so they're Harry and Draco in Middle Earth. <laughs> That's hysterical. Anyways, I have a whole zero draft for it. It's like twenty thousand words. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so. You have when, when there's something underexplored, it gives you the opportunity to really do a lot of world building where you can keep your characters in pretty much their canon circumstances and then just take a left turn. It's like, I don't, I don't know why the phrase left turn at Albuquerque ever came up, but um, 
it, it, it totally fits, right? You're, you're just making a left turn away from canon and you're exploring all of the stuff that's underexplored as opposed to your character is not even remotely in similar circumstances. Like, I, I want to say it was Ellie who was working on this and we've talked about it before, um, who's doing a sky-high AU for... Is it Teen Wolf? I don't remember. I think it's Teen Wolf. Oh, she's just funny. Yes, okay. Ellie's doing a sky-high AU for Teen Wolf. That is going to be... So that's completely different circumstances, right? Um, and <coughs> in high school. <laughs> so, you know, you've got... That puts you in a different set of circumstances than writing a Harry Potter AU where you're exploring ritual magic because there's a hole in canon. Those are very different AUs, right? And... Um, the further you get from anything approaching canon, the more you have to pay attention to that character because they should be different. They should have, they should be recognizable, but different. And that is a delicate balance that you have to walk. But all, yeah, they, they, in fact, the further you get from your canon circumstances, the more your characterization matters because that's what's going to carry your reader through your story, that recognition and love of that character. So you need, that's just like, that's just fundamental. If you're going to drop, you know, uh, Rodney in a sky high AU, he has to be bitter, bitter hero support. <laughs> Very bitter hero support, yeah. <laughs> and they decide his superpower is his mean tongue, and that he's actually, you know, he could actually destroy the world with how vicious he can be. <laughs> um, but it, the character work is so vital, and it's important that you set yourself up for success from the beginning, which means that you understand how far from can canon circumstances your AU is. And that you really understand your character, even if you have to fill in their bio with your own thing. Like if you're working on a Teen Wolf thing, let's be real. You got to make all that shit up yourself. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, you can, you could take their, their word for it, except that every single piece of information they give you, there's something to contradict it. Or it doesn't Derek have like four different birthdays. Yes, he's like, it's so, yeah. so to Styles. Styles has at least three. I think he turned 17 like three times. Um, based upon the official Teen Wolf calendar, Styles was 17 in the first season. He turned 17 in season two. Based upon that calendar, he turned 17 in season two, which means he missed a grade. That's the only thing that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. I was talking to them about this. They said, no, 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 no. He, he could have he been driving without a license. And I was like, yeah, the sheriff's son, the sheriff's knowingly lets this kid drive without a license. That no. makes no sense. That's bullshit. But then it, but then he's still sixteen in an episode in season three. Come and then on. He has birth, and then he has his birthday, but then he's still sixteen again after his birthday. So it's sort of like you know. So when it comes to Teen Wolf, you kind of got to go. Okay, I'm going to build my own character timeline. I'm going to work on my own character backstory. This is the stuff I'm taking from canon. This is the stuff I'm going to fill in the gaps. I'm going to try to make my own thing internally consistent, and then I'm going to figure out. And then I'm going to figure out when I take that bio and I put it in a new world, what changes, what stays the same? How does this impact my character? You know, so if you're, let's say you're doing a Teen Wolf a coffee shop AU, conceive, you got to work out everybody's birth dates, right? You got to work out how old they are. And that's not actually easy. There's an entire Tumblr devoted to how many birthdays everybody has. Um, I personally would make Styles older because I'm definitely a Styles and Derek shipper. 
Um, but if you're going to ship him with someone like Peter, he definitely needs to be older. Don't give him that young birthday. Come on now. <laughs> yes. Right. So, um, so you've got to like work out your character, know them and then just go, okay, what does this character look like in my new world? So when I did, when we did the whole new world challenge, I already knew my character bio for Tony backwards and forwards. And I go, okay, now I'm putting him in a world where he's born a werewolf. And then the horrible things happen to him. And he's raised by Ducky in a completely different country. And nobody knows who he really is. How do I take the core of that character where most of his bio has just been wiped out and I make it work in this circumstance? How do I make it look like Tony, even though he's completely different? Um, I think I manage it pretty well in that story, but I can't think of a more extreme change than, than what I did in that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does boil down to consistency. Yeah. You got to make your own world internally consistent. And there's two things that go drastically awry when people are writing AUs. One is that the character is not different at all. It's like, why wouldn't the world this character is in have affected them? And the reader notices that it's like, well, why is he so bitter if he has such a wonderful home life, right? Um, it's sort of like, it's like Harry Potter, who's had a loving parent his whole life, and yet he's still deeply distrustful of adults. And you're like going, why? I don't understand. See, if Harry Potter grows up in a really great home with great parents and supportive, serious black, or you know, even his own actual parents, whatever, um, the first letter he would send home to his parents would be, Dear Mom and Dad, I got sorted in a Gryffindor. I know you're excited. I had a choice for, for Slytherin, but I turned it down. And also, the headmaster says, if we go to the third floor, we'll all die. <laughs> right, exactly. Send help. And it, <laughs> and yet I, have, I have read Harry Potter stories where Harry's got both his biological parents. He's had a happy childhood. He goes to Hogwarts, and events happen the same way. Now, that resonates with leaders. Like, what the hell? And then the other, the flip side of that is when you put the character in a circumstance and they are, there's nothing recognizable about them. Nothing. It's like, it's, it's, it's an OC with that character's name on him. So it's like, you know, Harry Potter lives, he's born and raised in America. He, um, he has blonde hair and blue eyes. And um, his, it, the only thing that is the same about him, he's, he's not magical, but his name is Harry Potter. I'm sorry, you're just using fandom names on your original fic. <laughs> it's, that's you need not... to grow a pair and publish it as original fic. Come on now. Grow a pair. Quit trying um, to call that Harry Potter. It's not. It's just not. Uh, I think the PS on his letter would be PS, please feed my owl, who may or may not be Hedwig. Um, I think it's the same owl, but I'm not sure if she'd have the same name. A whole bunch of bacon. <laughs> right? <laughs> Because she's a princess. <laughs> but it doesn't make any sense. But what also doesn't make any sense is when you see a writer basically just retell the entire book. Like, dude, if I wanted to read the Philosopher's Stone, I'm going to fucking read the Philosopher's Stone. I don't need your summary. <laughs> Harry Potter was a wizard who was born. I mean, every time I read a story that starts with Harry Potter was a wizard who was born on July 31st, 1980, and his parents died, and he grew up on number four private dive, I just go, nope. I'm done. Hey, Arlena. Arlie, how are Arlie. you doing? But it's 
you need for me as a writer when I come into fandom, I want to um I want to explore the character. I want to give them new circumstances. I want to explore the consequences of those new circumstances. I, um, if I'm writing an alternate universe like Gordon Hermione Granger or um, Sentinels of Atlantis, um, you really have to dig a little deeper. When it comes to something like Sentinels of Atlantis, I, I wrote Sentinels of Atlantis twice. Did you all know that? Yeah, we've talked about it. (laughs) There were... There was a terrible tragedy in my life, and I lost my hard drive. <laughs> Anyways, I wrote it twice. I do believe the second version is better. Um, you learn from your mistakes. I hope. I hope I learn every time I write. That is my goal, to learn something about about writing um, and about myself as a writer. And um, with my new project, I, um, I've learned some really interesting things about myself and, and how I view um, some social issues. Yeah. Yeah, it's been interesting. It's got me thinking too. That's like what I changed um, when I started to remove the word goblin from my work and started to use the word diverger. Um, it when I found out that I was casually using a racial slur in my work and assigning it to a stereo, an ugly stereotype of a magical being that is treated like a third-class citizen in Harry Potter. I cannot tell you how horrifying that was. She wanted to run right out and edit all of her Harry Potter works to get rid of that term. Um, Which I understand. I really do. I would say it was not casually. I would say it was ignorantly because you wouldn't casually. Some people do casually use racial slurs. When you look at it, it is is not. It's it's very casual in the narrative. It's not like um, it's. She, I would say she, I, I would say she used it casually. I would say even, um, although I think Tolkien used it deliberately, um, but whatever, that's a whole different thing. But um, honestly, it was not, I honestly didn't know that it was a racial slur until we'd had that discussion. So, um, Our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, what? I yeah. actually, somebody said something and I Googled it and I was like, so, you know, using a, a term ignorantly is not the same thing really as using it casually because people really do use racial slurs very casually. Like it doesn't matter. Um, the peanut gallery is um, about uh, segregation. Um, right? It, yeah. About black people being put it, up in the, in the balconies away poor from. Poor people. Poor people. It's actually more classist than it is technically racist it beca- it's racist it's racist in some areas more than others because the poorest people tended to be people of color um but it is about you know basically saying you know we don't want to hear from you if you can't afford a decent seat so it really is at its core i believe classist um which classism tends to affect people of color more than it affects white people but in the american south it became a very um racially charged phrase let's put it that way yeah and in the american south um it was mostly you know the peanut gallery were the cheap seats it was the seats that and it was called the peanut gallery because that's the only feed you you could get right that was what you ate right all you have is peanuts so um my husband came to me the other day and said he was on, he was I think he was on Amazon Prime. He was looking at things. He's watching um, uh, the boys, um, which he told me I should not watch because um, I have a weak stomach. 
So I've I, I've not watched it. <laughs> Which is sad because I really enjoy Carl Urban. But um yeah, I've 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 heard it's pretty disgusting actually. Um but he was going through Prime and he said, Honey, you will not believe what I found. And I was like, Because this man I just, I just never know what I'm going to get, right? And he said, I found a show about these paranormal hunters. And it's this is terrible. Okay, I'm, I'm phrasing this. This is absolutely fucking terrible. And it stars um, several African um, people of African descent. I'm not sure if they're African American or if they're from Britain. I'm hoping that the show is from Britain, okay? Because it's got these... Um, people of color starring in it and they're looking for ghosts and the you guys know where this is going right this show is called spooks i really hope that they're not from a, from the, that really yeah now in britain that word can just mean a ghost or it can mean a spy but in america that's almost as bad as the n-word it is a british television show yeah okay, it is it's british and i was like now or Originally, MI5 was also called Spooks, I believe, um, but they changed it because of well, for American distribution because it's it's a racial slur. Now, Ghost Brothers crack, cracks me the fuck up. I enjoy Ghost Brothers, but I have not watched the one from the UK. But I was like, he was just astounded, <laughs> and I was like, someone is tone deaf. Someone should have kind of re, kind of thought about that for a hot minute because um yeah for the british that word is a ghost or a spy but for americans especially african americans that word is is as almost as bad as the n-word and sometimes we have things in our, <laughs> our, our language or a lexicon or whatever or um or in in something we read like harry potter where there's something like that that we don't even stop to think about the terminology um, the language is being used and we just carry it forth and some things. And I know that there are some terms in Harry Potter that are super offensive to see some people, some religions, um, which isn't quite the same thing as a known racial slur being used so casually. Um, like the word so, gyp, gyp. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Um, when I found out I was horrified because I had used it before. Um, I had a little girl, um, this is a separate, but I had a little girl in um, elementary school call me an Indian giver. And I was like, what? <laughs> what the like, huh? did you just say to me? <laughs> don't you know, don't you know how terrible it is what you just said? And she didn't. She had no clue. She was just mad that I didn't let her keep my pencil because it had a unicorn on it. But come on, it had a unicorn on it. <laughs> she was going to keep my pencil. <laughs> but Sometimes words like that slip into your vocabulary and you don't know how ugly they are. Right, because it may have been that they were ugly before you were born and you you weren't there when, you know, you weren't even alive when that word fell out of favor and then they kind of creep back into language and you don't know the origin of it, the word or the phrase or whatever. And then one day you're just kind of, you know, casually talking to somebody and they go, you know, that that word is a little bit racist right or it has racist origins and you're like wait what it does what are you talking about for those of you who don't know um the word gyp comes from the word gypsy um and gypsy is a slur for for the romani um it, it it's not hot it's not sexy it's a slur 
Yeah. Anyway, so just, you know, look at when you're building your AUs and stuff. Um, if there's something kind of that casual in the source material, like Goblin, that you find troublesome, that's something you can change. You don't have to stick with it. Um, if there's a term that really offends you in a, in, that is commonly used in a, um, in your, in your fandom, fandom canon, just take it out. And I think that if I ever go back to Harry Potter, and honestly, it's doubtful um, that uh, Diverger is something that will remain. And someday I'm probably going to go back and edit all my work, take, um, take the word Goblin out because um, it's ugly. And especially in Harry Potter, it's um, it's perpetrating a racial stereotype that is disgusting. Per perpetuating? Perpetuating. Perpetrating. Per yeah, both of those. <laughs> perpetuating. And yes, for those of you who are still curious, I am still salty about Puss and Puss. About what? Puss and Puss. Oh, Puss and Puss. Oh, well. Because, you know, I never, I never used the word Puss in my fic, so I never got corrected. I would have known if I'd ever used either one of those words in, you know, because I've had some really good editors in my life. It's just, I was so disgusted by the, by it. I never used it. So I never got corrected. This is what happens when you teach yourself to read, by the way. Yeah. Well, also when you teach yourself to read and you read a lot, is a lot of times you only know a word based upon how it looks. It's like, I have no idea how to say that. <laughs> right. And you're still I remember going, the first time I, I try, I, tried to say the word um c-h-i-c chic yeah that's not how i said it <laughs> you said chick yeah because yeah. <laughs> i'd never heard it said in comparison to the word on the page i had heard the word shabby chic but i had never seen it you know what i mean i just i had never yeah. put it together so yeah it's so like i I mean, I wrote, wrote, read a lot of, um, you know, like Victorian Regency romances when I was 12, 12 to 15 type age. And the word C-H-E-M-I-S comes up a lot. And I read it as chemist. And so the first time I said chemise, it out loud, right? somebody goes, somebody, yeah, somebody says that's pronounced, it's French, it's chemise. And I was like, it's what, what? <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. That's not the way those words, those letters go together in English. And they go, it's not English. And I was like, oh, okay. Well then. <laughs> now I know. Um yeah, satiate's one that you could definitely. But the other one I had a really hard time with was impetus. In my impetus. head, it was impetus. <laughs> you know the one that I got, and I still sometimes, I will say it wrong and then immediately correct myself. C-O-M-P-R-O-M-I-S-E. Compromise? Yeah. Compromise. <laughs> I say it all the fucking time. And I'm like, com com compromise. <laughs> I don't mean compromise, but when you're when you're reading a lot, you think you based upon the language, the the rules of English as you know them, you think you understand how how words pronounce, and then you find that you're totally wrong. But like I started, knew I knew what it meant. I was just using it wrong. Yeah. One of the more and, annoying things that I've uh, that I've had to go back and correct some of my work is that somewhere along the way, I autocorrected for. Um, it just fell out of my head. I autocorrected for some, like delegated. I autocorrected delegated to regulate for some reason, and oh, it was in my you, auto. And it was everywhere. I was like, "Oh my god!" You autocorrected relegate to regulate. Yes, 
Yes, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Frustrating. Very frustrating. I I do know the difference between those two words, but I think I must have misspelled it once and used that option to automatically correct it. So every time time, every time you misspell relegate, it gets autocorrected to regulate. (laughs) It did repeatedly, yes. Um which is almost worse than that time when I was editing out ties at Bindfic and I misspelled the word caned and it corrected the canned and I corrected all of them to canned and it got up on my site as canned instead of caned. Um, that's very different. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a, yeah. <laughs> but it was clearly an autocorrect. I do know the fucking difference between canned and cane. Well, you do, but sometimes saying. I read people's work and I go, do you not know the difference between S-T-A-R-E and S-T-A-I-R? Those are really different. <laughs> and you use them wrong <laughs> consistently. Can- and <laughs> Ellie. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. It was terrible. It was on my site. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just it's really embarrassing. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. At least I was consistent. <laughs> Consistently wrong. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some asshole pointed it out on some fandom wank and I got a screenshot of it. I hated those fandom wanks um, sites on Live Journal. I'm not sure if they're still there or not. Um, I think I think most things fandom on Live Journal have died. I think the only thing that I've noticed is still active on my journal is the Fic Finder groups. For the most part. That's about it. And thank fuck for Fic Finder groups. Although sometimes I have to admit, sometimes I get I go look at something, look what people are looking for on Fic Finders, and I go, Wow. <laughs> That's wow. fucked up. <laughs> that is fucked up. What is wrong with you? Why are you like this? Who hurt you? <laughs> Yes, exactly. Who hurt you? Because that is what you're looking for. <laughs> okay. The worst part is if you find somebody looking for something fucked up, and it's because of their interpretation, and you realize it's your own work they're looking for, and that wasn't in it at all, but that's, well, that's what they remember about it. There was somebody one time looking for something. They described my work, but they insisted that it had this rape scene in it. And people were like, well, this sounds like Jilly's work, but there's no rape scene. Oh, yes, there is. And I was like, no, there isn't. <laughs> there is not. No, there is not. Um, I recently had someone. Dark, are you here? Is Dark Seraphina here? Because this yeah, is funny. Okay, so earlier in the year, someone sent me a note asking for a story that they thought that I wrote. And it was about, I think it was about a female Harry Potter. I didn't recognize it. I don't actually read female Harry Potter. Um, it's it's not my jam. Um, so I told them that they that it wasn't my work. Well, earlier this week, I got this really, what would you call it? Um, concerned, but also like oblique. <laughs> because they didn't it was, it was like it was I just wanted you to know that, that story I was looking for earlier in the year I was actually Dark Seraphina's so um thanks I, so I found I it like, and I want you to know thank you and I was like, so I found it and I, but the whole thing I was, I re, she, Kira sends me the, the thing the, the message and I was like did they think you were angsting about the fact that you couldn't find their fic for them I don't know I'm confused which you know so it's funny they, they didn't tell me what it was. Yeah, I mean, at least if, if you're going to tell me that you found the fic, tell me what the fic was. 
but I, I, I hope they enjoyed finding it. I'm sure <laughs> it they did. Really I mean, weird. I love finding a fic that I've been looking for. So, um, when my brain just blue screened. Does Windows still do that? Does Windows current Windows actually still blue screen when there's a problem, or do they do something else now? I haven't seen a blue screen in a decade. So the the generation that is going to recognize that terminology is is um is sort of we're sort of fading out. Yeah, it is a pop culture reference that another generation is not going to recognize. Um, yeah, my brain just kind of went bit. <laughs> but back to characterization, I think that sometimes you can um kind of drag your reader into new characterization by giving them something very familiar about their character that they can latch onto. And then if, once you got them in, you drag them in, you can expand and uh, grow your character uh, so that they, they'll follow you along that path. Right? So if you introduce styles and styles is running a coffee shop and Derek comes in to get coffee and, Styles is a snarky little asshole because he is a snarky little asshole. And instead of writing Derek's name on his cup, he writes dude. <laughs> <laughs> so when Derek's coffin is ready, this little girl, whoever it may be, whoever you want to be, calls out dude. <laughs> yeah, I could think I have to register. He goes, Oh, that'll be five, five, ten, dude. And he's like, Don't call me dude. So right, <laughs> dude's going around the fucking cup. And then you've, you've dragged your reader into this, right? That's immediately recognizable to a Teen Wolf um, fan. Um, and it's giving them a base of both uh, Styles' personality and what he's got going on. And it's giving you... Um, you could also, you know, kind of play with Jared's characterization of how he responds to it. Is he angry? Is he exasperated? Is he just like, fucking little asshole? <laughs> Does he actually go get his coffee when she calls out dude? Because that's important. Does he come back? And if he does, Styles has to put dude on the cup every single time. <laughs> but then it's just like that creates this situation that the reader is familiar with and you can kind of pull them along your path. And you can have all of the people, all of the people working at the coffee shop at once. The minute he walks in the corner, go, hey, dude. <laughs> dude. Which that happened to me once. I walked into my local Starbucks, and now this is the moment when I knew that I went to that Starbucks too much because I walked in and like four of the six people working went, "Hey, Jilly," and I was like, "Oh," I just kind of froze. I was like, "Hi." You just had a cheers moment. I was like, "Let me out." These people know me by name, which of course they do because I give them my name every time I go. But that's hard to the point. But you know that's. That's the kind of thing that if you do that, it um, it creates a familiarity that will allow you to uh, kind of bring your reader along with you on a journey where, wherever you're going. Yeah. In um, Subversive, one of the things I did is I wanted Tony to be have some traits that were recognizable, even though he was very different. And he, you know, I wanted to model the way he kind of relates to things. Um the, the associations he makes between the things he in the, in the show he makes these associations to movies and TV shows, and I thought, well, if Tony's raised by somebody like Ducky, he's probably going to read. It's going to be more literature than it's going to be TV shows and movies because Ducky's not going to give him the same influences. And so I kept that thread of how he relates to things and how he 
makes connections in his own mind to liter literary quotes um, to kind of give the reader the familiarity of the way he his brain works and the associations he makes. Um, and I thought that that was a very a really good way of of taking him in such different circumstances and letting him feel feel familiar to the reader. Um, that story is not complete, but it is up on Evil Author Day. If um, and it's called Subversive. It's hard to link to Evil Author Day because you have to be logged in to see anything. But y'all know where it is. You can get the link on my site if you haven't read that and you want to to see what I'm talking about about how you model a character, how to how to grab traits that let the character feel familiar while at the same time letting the character breathe and be different in a world that is completely divorced from their canon circumstances. Um, another, another story I thought was interesting for um, character work that's in AU, if somebody could get me the link on this, it's the Naughty Hookers um, AU. Uh, that's Peter Stiles. Stiles owns a yarn store or craft store, and Peter is raising his his nieces and nephews. They're all young. And this is one of the interesting things, is because the the author had to take the characters of Cora, Derek, and Laura, and make them children, and and in Cora's case, pretty young, and make them recognizable. Thank you. Um, thank you uh, to everybody who went and got that link for me. Um, and they had to naughty Derek, Yeah, naughty because Styles crochets and knits. He, got, he crochets. I, I get a lot. it. It's a good pun. I get it. Um so it is a it's interesting character work. Styles is very recognizable as Styles. I think Peter's Peter's recognizable as Peter, um, very stressed Peter, because he's trying to raise um three kids on his own. And the kit what the hard the challenge in that series to me was actually making the kids. And Derek is such a little prickly little marshmallow. He's very sensitive. And it actually is an, I really thought the, the author did a really good job of extrapolating what Derek would be like in that circumstance. Um, and it was just, it was really charming. I, I really recommend the series. Um, let me put that in the link library before I forget. Thank you, Lady Holder, for grabbing that link to EAD. But in order to read it, you do need to be a member of the EAD community. Um, but it's it's just one little little click. It's not a big deal. You just have a dream with the count, so you know that that is that is the the gate that. I mean, I can't tell you how often I get. I I don't want to get a dream with the count. Can I just get you to send me that story? No. <laughs> no. If I start sending out my stuff, I'm not your. You I'm not your. <laughs> Jilly is not your thick bitch. <laughs> no. Someday I might be a f somebody's thick bitch, but it's going to require a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> and then I guess I'd be their thick hooker or something. I don't know. <laughs> but readers can be very demanding of your time, of um, your craft. Um, and so you have to kind of guard yourself. And I, uh, I admit that um, I did not guard myself as well as I should have. Um, when it came to um, policing my boundaries um, in, the, in the Harry Potter fandom. And um, I paid a price for that. So um, if it, learn from that for me, please. Just, you know, kind of learn from that. And um, be careful with your boundaries when it comes to um, your relationships with large groups. Um, 
especially if you're a writer and um, you're popular against your will. <laughs> I do, <laughs> I do think that plays into it. And this is not me tooting my own horn or blowing my own trumpet or bragging or whatever. It's just that I think that sometimes, um, because of my position in various fandoms, I, I can be kind of polarizing, and I don't mean to be. Um, and people don't like to be told no. Yeah. Oh, I think part of the polarizing aspect is that there's kind of two, there's two bit, there's two big modes of thought about how to approach readers in fandom. And one is to pander basically to their every desire. And the other is you're the writer, you do what you want. And I would say that there are a lot more advocates for, make your reader happy, give them what they want, da 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 um, as opposed to um, policing your own boundaries and and saying no. And because I think the loud voice for, for in, in a lot of fandoms, segments of fandom, is the, you know, kind of do whatever the reader wants to make them happy, grow your readership. Like, that's important in fan fiction. I mean, if you're trying to make a living on your writing, it is important that you learn how to develop a reader base and that you, um, that those, those are, that's a different, that's a different thing, right? Conceivably, if you're writing fan fiction, you're doing because you love it. You want to write and you love the source material or at least the characters. Um, but anyway, so Kira was a very assertive, strong voice about, you know, basically boundaries for writers and the you know it's your work you do what you want take care of yourself and that is polarizing to some people it's like how dare you contradict the idea of um you know these these well-known and established practices of how to grow your reader base it's like uh, if i wanted a reader base i'd be on ao3 let's be honest if i this is going to be ugly and I don't care, but I could dominate AO3 in um, probably Harry Potter and Stargate. Yeah. I, but what does it mean? It means nothing. As people, people, there is, and I've participated in several discussions on Facebook about readers or currency, basically. And I'm not, I didn't, that's not my word. Okay. That's somebody else's word that the only currency you have is readership. It's like, <gasps> stop talking right now. <laughs> Because there that, are people on AO3 who have no idea who I am. So I could drop down in that pond like a bomb. With ties that bind. With Harry Potter and the soulmate bond. Um, boom. But I have no desire to. I don't care. And that right there is what makes you polarizing. Because... <laughs> Because how dare you have a different opinion than than the common one is basically it. And really having a difference of an opinion is, should not be such a polarizing thing. But um, it is actually surprisingly difficult to get people to accept that we don't need to agree. That yeah. it, it does, you know, we don't need to. It's sort of like when I don't like something, I don't like a, a pairing or a fandom or something, and people start trying to convince me to like it. I'm like, why isn't it okay that I don't like this? Because it's, it's a no, personal affront. You're like it's like I think you're judging them or something. And I might be. I mean, yeah, it, depending on the period. <laughs> I'm probably I judging might, the fuck out of you. <laughs> I might be judging this. Somebody sent me a wreck recently. Um, this, and it basically in in the wreck, they basically said, "Since I know you read incest," and I was like, "Wait, wait, what?" <laughs> I was like, what? I was so affronted. I was so affronted, and I wrote back, "What do you mean? Since you know I read incest, what the fuck are you talking about?" And it, it was totally based around some comment I made on one podcast about 
how the only time that that I don't care about the Keely Feely thing in The Hobbit, as long as it's a background thing, and that and I have said that, and it was because it's in everywhere. The Hobbit, it's hard to get away from that. As long as it's not an yeah. on-screen, on-screen sex between those two, I just, you know, close my eyes and think of England. I just, I just pretend like it's not happening. I like to think that 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 um, they're not actually brothers. That that one of them was adopted. <laughs> Right? Uh, and it's the same thing with the background George Fred thing in the Harry Potter. Sometimes somebody goes, this is the best story ever. And then they'll tell me, but there is this background pairing of George Fred. And I'm like, yeah, as long as it's background, I don't have to see it on screen. Like, whatever. Because I don't want to read incest. But they took that comment about, and I had just said that, yeah, the, I'll, I'll deal with the Keely Feely thing in the in the Hobbit, but I try to warn people if I wreck something that even has it as a background pairing. But they took that as like tacit thing that I want to read incest. And I was like, um, for the record, she does not. I do not, <laughs> and neither do I. I judge the fuck out of it. In fact, the supernatural fandom ruined me so much that I cannot watch the show. Right, because you go to check out. Sometimes you read, you, you know, see an episode of something, and you want to go. I'm going to see what fandom is doing, and then you find out, and you go, "No, fandom, that's where you went. What is the matter with you?" So you know, <clears throat> but it it was interesting because they really were trying to convince me that I wanted to read this 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 pairing and i'm like i really really don't want to read that i would pairing. not even read thor and loki I, I know they're not actually technically brothers but they were raised as brothers and that's enough for me the pseudo incest yes is enough for me too but and the thing is there are writers who you like that i know you like who write that pairing um and it's just okay it's like okay so those are works of that writers i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be reading and that It'll should be, be okay that's fine and that should be okay but some people just get so wrapped around the axle over the fact that you don't like the thing that they like and it's like please stop trying to convince me I had okay. someone last week was it last week or over the weekend either way he wrote me and told me that my heart my site was hard to navigate um and um he couldn't know the difference between thick and ranting which i don't do on my site i mean i do have a newsletter but i wouldn't consider that ranting there aren't really any rants in your newsletter no, no. But either way, he 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 professed to be very confused about how my site operated. My site's not difficult. What he had a problem with that did not want to say is that he didn't like the fact that I put all of my harmony work because yes, he was a harmony reader um, with my Harry Draco work. And what he wanted me to do was to send him direct links to all of my harmony work so he wouldn't see the gay. Because we had there were three or four emails across this whole thing. And so my last email to him was that it's not my job as a writer to curate your fandom experience. Please don't contact me again. My eye is twitching so hard right now. <laughs> I'm going to sprain something. It um, was so annoying. I wanted to go over to my site and rearrange it, the page, so that all of my dreary work was on top. I didn't because it's post it's it's done by date posted because it kind of like filters up and down. Um, but it was really fucking annoying. If that wasn't an automated process, I would have moved all my jury work to the top. Just saying. Right. Exactly. <laughs> People. I want to say something to, to, to Sachi. I think I got your name pronounced right. Um, when someone comes to your story and bitches about the pairing, um, they came to your story. To bitch about your pairing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that, that was their intention. They didn't read your story and decide the pairing didn't work. No. A anybody who bitches about the thick they clicked on for its basic attributes came prepared to bitch. There was no intention of reading your story with an open mind. 
So literally this is just, I, I would just wipe that idiot from your brain because they came at you with that intention. There was no, there was no honest intent to read your story with an open mind. It's sort of like how the NCIS, all the, all the, all the, you know, slash writers on NCIS on fanfiction.net for a long time were getting their story slammed by the Tony Ziva shippers. Um, the Tony Ziva shippers came into reading that story prepared to bitch about the pairing. Um, and which means they're not actually a reader. They actually are not giving you any kind of feedback. They are there to troll you. Fuck I think them. what I've learned over the course of the last year, with all these people who are home and have so much time on their hands, um, is that there are a lot of ugly people on the internet. And I don't mean their physical features. No. They are bone deep ugly. And I think there's a situation going on on TikTok right now that, that obliterates any argument that you could have that there aren't some bone ugly fucking people on this planet. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to talk about it because it's triggery. Um, but be careful. Both things on- going on on TikTok. Well, I only know about the there. one that started it on Facebook. Yeah, there's another one. Oh, God. Tell me in private. Um, okay. But uh, be careful clicking on links because people are using a very unfortunate thing that happened on Facebook to uh, Rickroll people, basically. But instead of getting a lovely video of Rick singing to you, you get something really fucking terrible instead. Really terrible. And the way TikToks, um, there's an article on CNN that talks about the way TikTok's algorithm works is that it's almost designed to throw these videos in your face. Even even as TikTok is trying to pull them down, they go up as fast as they can get them down. And their algorithm is different than the way other social media and other media sites work. Um, And so people are getting exposed to this. Honestly, if you're a TikTok person, I would just stay off TikTok for a few days until they sort this shit out. It's 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 really humanity's terrible. We're a plague. Agent Smith was right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't. It's either laugh or cry. I mean, it's just people are so fucking terrible. So stay, um, just just stay safe and be careful and don't click on links you don't know. And uh, we had an incident where someone it actually got posted in um the server. There was a link. Yeah, link. someone spam bops posting to probably a malware site or something. One of our, you know, fandom mods caught it like right away and deleted it and alerted us that we needed. It. And the re- user was still on the server, so I banned them. So um, yeah, if you, our- yeah, if you, if you spam our servers, that's where the <coughs> thing we'll, we'll ban somebody over is is coming on the server. But it was probably a bot. Yeah, it would probably probably was a bot. Yeah, although usually the bots come in. Um, drop links and leave because that's what's happened in the past. But this person mm-hmm. was still there, so they gave me the opportunity to ban them, which was deeply, deeply satisfying. Um, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> um, but it's that kind of ugliness is in fandom too, and um, I've been exposed to it. I've been this is the Harry Potter thing is like my second dog pile, basically. Um, I think it was more hurtful because I was invested. Um, but when it happened to me in the Sentinel fandom, I was like, fuck all y'all. I got Stargate. <laughs> Moving on. Because <laughs> um, I already had a really uh, good following on Stargate. And I was you know, putting out what might have been. And I was getting all this great feedback. And I was writing this lovely romance. And John's kind of a sociopath. And I was really digging it. Um, 
A lot of people think that the hardest John Shepard I ever wrote was in Ties That Bind. They're wrong. No. John's a fucking romantic in Ties That Bind. He's he's a fucking marshmallow with a whip, okay? He's he, right? he's a lover, not a, he's a fighter, but he's a lover. He wants uh he seeks pleasure. He seeks to give it, to receive it. But the John in what might have been psychopath. <laughs> He's on the scale. I mean, I'm not saying he's a full-blown, you know, go off the rails and eat people, but he he's an animal <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, so the John and what might have been is, is definitely the harder of the two if you're gonna do between them. Um I don't think the one in ties at bond would tolerate the one in what might have been at all. No. If if the if the what might have been duo fell into the ties that bind you know universe they'd be like um you stay away from my rodney completely i don't want you on my base <laughs> we're just going to put you in some out of the way cabin and you can go off there and be well, I, I think the john what might have been would have definitely killed kevin jordan oh yeah and in what might have been universe he could have probably gotten away with it but in his universe he had just he did just hid the body um but, you know, feedback actually is a little bit tangential to the topic at hand. It seems like it's a complete off track. But in a way, when you're working on an AU where you have to take your characters away from their canon circumstances, away from their canon backstory, or um, where you're putting factors in play that will change their character, because actually everything you should do, you do in fan fiction should have an impact on the character. If the character, if the thing you're putting your characters through is not, is not, changing them and causing different reactions you you miss the mark but but what happens and the more you do the further you go the more likely you are to get intrusive feedback um like someone um one of our peeps um wrote a sentinel you and decided to have the um spirit animals talk and they had a reader lose their mind over that 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 is not not the way it works in the Sentinel. That is not Sentinel canon. It's like... Well, neither really are spirit animals. We see them, what, twice? Yeah, they're barely... And, and <laughs> Come on guides, <laughs> guides aren't, you know... Emp empathic guides are not canon either. So shut up! No. But you're going to get intrusive so feedback your like that. <laughs> so be prepared for that. The further you go, the more work you do. And I think sometimes the better you are at it, the more likely you're going to get someone picking at you. And just know that they came into the story ready to pick. Because there really is a different mindset between willing suspension of disbelief and make me believe. Because when a reader comes in with an open mind and willing to re read your story for what it is, as opposed to their um, you trying to hope you'll meet their high expectations, when they have that mindset from the beginning, you're doomed to fail. Um. It's funny, it, and I've been, I've been guilty of this. My mother recommended this for she's like one of the best things she's ever read. And she says, I have to read this book. You have to read this book, Jillian. You have to read this book. And I was like, okay. And I look at it, and the first thing I notice about this book is it's first person present tense, oh, alternating no. alternating POVs, which I she hate. doesn't know you at all. <laughs> no, I hate that in first person. And the POVs are labeled. So I noticed this. On the very first fucking page, it's got a labeled POV. And if it's a labeled POV, it's going to be more than one. Yeah. And that it's first person present tense. The thing is, there was no chance I was going to give that book a fair shake at that point. 
because it had already pushed way too many buttons. If there had been parentheses on that first page, that's all. It would have been like a trifecta. It would have been fucked. <laughs> I fucking hate parentheses in the narrative. Don't do that shit. What I would say is that first person can be done beautifully. Now I'm going to be part. I'm going to be really honest and toot my own horn here. I have a first for I have a first person narrative that will blow your fucking mind. I don't normally write it in fandom, um, but I'm banging at it. Seriously, you'll forget you're reading first person. I'm so good at it. Um, but first person present tense, nah, dog. <laughs> I have I have I have read some writers that will make me forget that I'm reading first person present tense. And if they can if their if their narrative is so good, if their voice is so good, they can make me not even notice that they're in present tense. That is banging. They've got they've done an exceptional job. And I can I, read first third person present tense and get lost in it. There's there's one in NCIS blew my mind. Really yeah. good. I forget what it's called. And if you read um if you read Hunger Games and enjoyed it, that's first person present tense. So it, but I, that, I mean, you said that it, there are times when I see certain issues in a story or certain choices in terms of POV or narrative style, whatever, that the author has made that put me in what I would call an unwilling frame of mind. I am going, I'm hyper aware of what they're doing. I am going to pick apart every mistake in my own head. I am not a good audience for that writer. And I don't give shitty feedback to people, so I would say nothing. But I would be the type of reader who's coming into that story with an unwilling. They're not willing. I'm not willing to suspend my disbelief because I'm tearing that story apart in my head. I'm kind of upset because your mom loved this book, but she loved my book. So now I'm not not sure I can trust her. (laughs) Well, the thing is, the thing is, this, this, some people like that though, and I will say this book has got like four point nine stars on Amazon. Okay, okay. So, okay. She, and it's got hundreds of reviews. So she's not the only person who adored this book. It's just I personally do not. My one of the things I just do not like is alternating first person point of view. No, first person is an intimate point of view, and I want to stick with one person through the whole story. Does it mean somebody can't make a choice to write something else? Of course they can, but I'm not a good audience for somebody who wants to write an alternating first person point of view i'm not the only thing i hate worse than an alternating first person point of view is when a writer gives me the same scene over and over again from from a different perspective dude stop just stop i don't need it from one perspective you need to pick you need to choose you make a fucking choice (laughs) and stick with it (laughs) ah, i hate it don't back up because it's like a weird flashback which i fucking hate and I'll give a writer one, maybe two flashbacks. They're really fucking important. But a third one, I'm closing your story. Because if if you've got three flashbacks in a, in a certain period of time, why did you obviously started your story in the wrong place? And the only thing worse than that is someone who flashbacks 15 minutes before they start. 15 minutes ago. Right? Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you and your 15 minutes. <laughs> I read I read a story that ended, so the scene ends, right, in let's say somebody's office, right? Scene ends in somebody's office. At the next chapter, picked up like, I don't know, let's say a day later. The next chapter picked up a day later, which is fine. But two paragraphs into that chapter, it flashed back to right after the office. Like them leaving the office. I'm like, 
wait a minute, are we really writing? And it was labeled flashback. <laughs> my, I, mean, my, my, I, I rolled myself right in another dimension. So it's a la <laughs> it's labeled it's labeled flashback, and the flashback is to 15 minutes after the end of the prior chapter. And I'm like, we're one paragraph away from that narrative point. Why in the Look, world are we doing it? Flashback. I'm going to say something really, really blunt to every writer listening to this podcast. If you cannot write a flashback properly without labeling it, you're not allowed to write one anymore. <laughs> if you have to label it, you're not doing it right. I'm fucking serious. If you have to label it, you're not doing it right. And it also comes to POV. If you have to label your fucking POV in third person, you're not doing it right. I've seen that shit. Stop it. Really? Even... Uh, I can understand how um, POV labels are something that are vitally necessary if you're doing multiple first-person points of view. Because it's very difficult to identify yourself. Um, which actually should be a sin. It sh it's a sin. <laughs> which is why you really shouldn't write multiple first-person points of view. I mean, honestly, do what you want. But it's just... But anyway, there are things I don't... When I see something that really puts me off about a story, I don't read it. <laughs> Dark. Right? <laughs> Dark says if, if you, you write scene break instead of having one. Just just, yeah. just do a little dash. A couple dashes or some dots. Don't get fancy with it, though, because that's annoying. Just some dots. Also, stars. I was reading something the other day. I finally had to stop. Like, there was a scene break every couple of... Um, every couple of par paragraphs, but the breaks were just like for a few minutes. It was like, you know, well, it was like also, every time there's a two minute pause. If you cannot shift your POV without a scene break, don't shift your POV. Yeah. Although for an amateur writer, I understand that one more than any of the others that they think they need a scene break for. There are three factors for a scene break. Okay. Three. POV, location, and time. You need two of the three, at least, to do a scene break. So if you change POV and you've changed location, you need a scene break. If you've changed time and location, you need a scene break. Um, two of the three. If you got all three, you definitely need a scene break. But scene breaks are... This is about readability. It's a readability and craft issue. Right. But, like I said, from an amateur writer who is learning to write, because for a lot of people, there are a lot of pro writers who write fan fiction, but there are also a lot of people who fan fiction is their training ground for writing, and that's perfectly fine, who have not learned how to do a POV transition within a scene. I understand the scene break for a POV transition better than I understand labeling a POV or using the words scene break or talking to your readers in parentheses. You know. What I would say is don't be lazy about it. Work on it. Continue to work on it until you get it right. Honor your craft as a writer. Yeah. That's part of that. And that's who we're talking to, are people who are trying to improve their craft. If you just want to keep writing what you're doing and you don't want to change, as we've said before, we're not talking to you. Um, I, I suck at action. I'm working on it. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to have something coming up that I'm going to have to work my ass off. <laughs> I don't know why I did it. I, I, I plotted myself something worse than the Battle of the Five Armies. I mean, if, well, why? Why did I do that to myself, Jilly? You know what's coming. I do know what's coming, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You can't just put a giant placeholder. Go Huge big battle. or go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess. But you need you need to 
grow, you know, so I'm growing and I have this thing coming and um, I, I'm so proud of it. So I, I hope that even if it's not a fandom that you would read that, that you guys give it a chance because I'm really super proud of what I've done so far. And I'm just in my second draft right now. So yeah, it's banging. Um, but yeah, there is, and there are some things that were acceptable even 10 years ago that we don't do anymore. So like Stephen King used parentheses in his narrative in the seventies. As far as I know, he doesn't do that anymore. Although I think parentheses in the narrative are coming back, which yeah, kills me. I hate it. Like, I hate it so much. Um, that fourth wall breaking, they need to stop. <laughs> but what I would say about quirks that writers have like Stephen King or Nora Roberts who's a notorious head hopper um it, I had I used to teach um I thought teach I used to be invited I still am invited but I don't go and I haven't been invited this year because corona but um to go to uh and teach like you know little seminars on writing at local universities because there are several around me um and I was at a small seminar I guess it's about 50 people and um I go into this thing and um, we're talking and um, talking about head hopping and how you should not do it. And this girl in the front of the class said, well, Nora Roberts does it. And I said, honey, you're not Nora Roberts. And the whole class bursted out laughing. Well, the next day, the next day I get to class and that professor asshole that he is presents me with a t-shirt that says, honey, you're not Nora Roberts. <laughs> That's actually kind of awesome. Big pink letters. Yeah, that's almost um, as good as the Iron Woman T-shirt I got from my doctor when I got my transfusion. Because I kept asking for one, and he got me one. That's hysterical. Wait, yeah, <laughs> I get iron transfusions, not blood. Like I get iron because I have anemia. But some people are going to come to your story with not liking. Just they're going to read your tags and your summary, and they're going to decide before they ever start they don't like it. And if you haven't convinced them to like it by the end of the story, which honestly isn't your job, your job is to maintain the suspension of disbelief, not force feed them suspension of disbelief. So um, if they've come to your story prepared, I like to, to like kind of woo my reader. You just kind of just, hey, come here, baby. <laughs> yeah. But the difference it, is, it works for me often. But it's very different somebody who comes to a story prepared to be wooed as opposed to somebody who is prepared not to be. And oh yeah, they're going to if they're and the people who will read a story that they know they're not going to like are also the people who are going to comment and tell you what you've done. <coughs> Just honestly, please I delete get, those comments. These they don't they have no value. My, there's this one person that comes to my side at least once a year to tell me I'm overrated. <laughs> I could and, ban and I, them, but they read all my work. So I'm like, I'd be like, thanks for another rating. <laughs> Got all your hits recorded. And like, and yet you keep rating me. I mean, one time I tracked their IP and they come, they came to my site every fucking day for, for like six months. And I was like, okay, honey. And then they, and then I, around December, I got another note telling me I was overrated. I was just trying to keep my ego in check. I don't know. <laughs> I got, I saw this. That's I saw a comment about me saying that I was overrated amongst NCIS writers, and I was like, "Okay, whatever, that's fine." I mean, it, I honestly don't care. It, I don't. That's one person, and that person may not like the way I write, and that's fine. Was it on Reddit? Because I would have responded with an LOL. 
No, it was a um, it was a comment in a live journal thing. Oh, um, fuck them. Like whatever. I, it's like. <clears throat> well, the thing is, is that you bounced into NCIS with an epic, and it's just like sometimes when you when you kind of like drop into a fandom with something like that, that the rest of the fandom doesn't know what to do with you. And I think that that happened with The Awakening. Um, is that people were really unprepared for this new writer to come into their fandom and drop a novel. And they didn't know what to do with me and they didn't like what I did. And, um, and I think that's probably also probably what you experienced with Emergence because I've told you guys this story before, but when Jilly landed on Rough Trade, I, there was some, um, I, there was, there was a tone in her summary that kind of put me off and I thought it was going to be Alpha Omega. So I had Lady Holder ask her about it because I didn't want to run her off because she was a new writer to me. And I people had told me before that I was kind of intimidating. So I sent Lady Holder to be nice. And she was <laughs> nice, but I will say the ask came across very weird. I was told I needed to <laughs> warn that there was no ABO. And I was right. Like, I have to. I have to warn for what's not in the story. I was like, I was so confused. I was like, okay, so I warned that there was no ABO. <laughs> yeah, because I was getting a lot of questions about it, and it was weird, and it was just a weird thing. Um, you know, so if I send Lady Holder to you, it's because I'm trying to be nice. If I send a Azure to you, it's because she's the only one left among us who can be nice. <laughs> If she sends Senna to talk to you, <laughs> you're in run. big trouble. Just you run. are in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I say the church lady your way, it's because the rest of us are so furious with you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. Sometimes Az is the only one on the server and someone, something goes down. So if she contacts you, it's not me being an asshole. It's just, you know, her doing her thing. Um, also, Az is very diplomatic. So yes, sometimes it's like, how do we phrase this diplomatically? Because sometimes you don't want to tell somebody, you know, you want to be careful hey, about how you phrase something. It's like, how do we say this as nice as possible? And as is the go-to for, because <laughs> you, you can't actually ask me how to say something as nice as possible because I'm the master of passive aggressive nice, which is not you. <laughs> what we're going for. You totally are. <laughs> <sighs> Some asshole told me to have a blessed day. I know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. I suffered. I under I understand what that means. That's like one step away from bless your heart. Um <coughs> I'm not sick, I just have asthma. It's just a little hot in my office. Um but yeah, so sometimes you know you create something really huge like emergence, which is a ginormous AU and it has so much potential for so many different directions. Um Oh, no, I don't smoke. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm in the South. I'm in, I'm in the American South. I'm nowhere near um, the fires that are happening in California and Oregon. Um, I just have asthma. Um, <clears throat> and also, I haven't had a podcast in a very long time. And talking for several hours is kind of taxing. <laughs> yeah, her, her voice is out of practice. Yeah. When I first started doing the podcast, my husband was like, you're going to talk for a couple of hours every day? I said, maybe. That's how I was blog yeah. talking. I had like 20 hours a week I was paying for. I didn't use them all ever, which was bullshit. Um, and he was like, you got that? I said, I got, I got a lot of things to say. <laughs> I got I an opinion about everything. 
<laughs> Do you doubt my ability to talk? Really? You haven't been paying attention, have you? <sighs> Just saying. Just saying. But you'll get something like Emergence that has so much potential um, to cross so many different fandoms to be used um, in various with, with various characters um, and the dragon lore and all of it. And it becomes it's huge. And so when someone new comes into a fandom with something like that, they're so I can understand how some established NCIS writers might be a little butthurt. Yeah, that's the term I'm looking for, butthurt. Yeah. Well, but, you know, I, the thing is, I got a little bit kind of the same spiel when I started writing X-Files. It's like somebody told me that I hadn't paid my dues. And I was like, what dues? There are dues? Nobody told me about dues. I was too literal for that kind of comment. Um, <laughs> well, the thing I, is, is you're, you're very talented. Thank you. And you stand I mean, but I post my first story, and and then later there was something that happened subsequent to that, and then I was I had brought up a conversation in a Yahoo group, and somebody said something about, "Well, you haven't even paid your dues yet," and I'm like, "There's dues? Where do they go?" And I mean, the thing is, I mean, I was <laughs> I was like twenty five. I was like twenty five. Anybody? <laughs> I will say my literal in this has calmed down a little bit since. So when I was a kid, my literal my literal was at the level that I thought a Cradbury cream egg had actual egg in it. <laughs> um, when I was 25 and somebody said, you haven't paid your dues yet. I was like, there are dues. Where do I, where do they, who gets paid the dues? Now I, I kind of am a little bit, my, you know, it, it, it's left off. It's not quite as bad as it was when I was younger, but I'm like, well, what dues was, and the thing is I never had a straight answer about what dues it was I was supposed to pay. And I guess the dues are things like you're supposed to, you know, labor Struggle. over your labor over the work which i did I, I work hard on my stuff um and then get no recognition and nobody reads it and you're supposed to live with that crushing disappointment i guess those are the dues i mean and that's where they put it was like you know crushing disappointment and i was like why would they be crushing disappointment if nobody reads it that to me didn't make any sense because that's an author who's invested in their readership to an unhealthy degree um I had people tell me that I don't care about my readers. That's not true. But one of the best and healthiest boundaries I created for myself as a writer, as a creative person, as a woman, is to do things for myself. I write for me. I share it with you because I think you'll like it. And I hope you like it. But if you don't like it, I don't care. I'm not, not invested in anybody else's opinion about about that part of my writing you know and the i the i don't care is not it's not as i don't think it's as flip or callous as it sounds it just means that i accept that you might have a difference of opinion and that's fine but i don't need to hear about it because if you don't like it just move on to something you do like um i i i care about my readers i'm just not and honestly i'm not invested in them as currency however because that's honestly no, really, that's so diminutive it's offensive. It is offensive. It is offensive to view my to view my readers as a, some sort of currency or some sort of, and I, and I don't know what you would do with that kind of currency. You can't you can't spend it. It's it's just crazy cakes. But you know we have somebody. I don't I don't want to call them up by name if they don't want to be identified um, in this fashion. But we have somebody on on um, this server has been around with you know with the, with us for a while. Who decided they wanted to, they'd been writing and decided they wanted to share their work, but they really didn't care what anybody else had to say about it. So they created a WordPress 
and they put their work up on their WordPress and they turned off all commenting. And in no way can you figure out a way to contact this writer. There's no email address. There's no contact form. There's nothing. It is there for you to read if you wish, and then you can go away. And I, that's a boss move. That is, that is, that is badass. That is baller. I mean, I love it. I love it. I love it. They went, the, this is a platform I can control. I can put my work out there for people to enjoy. And, um, and if, if they don't enjoy it, that's fine. Um, it, and it, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing that, that they knew what their boundaries were, what they wanted, and that they still wanted to be able to share this thing that they had created. Because there is something very, it is nerve wracking, but it is something very exciting and liberating and just it's almost euphoric about sharing something you've created, whether it's your writing or your painting or whatever. Anybody who has a creative endeavor understands what it's like to say, look at this thing that I have done. Um, And this person said, here's this thing. I made this. I don't care what you have to say about it. And they really put, and they really didn't want anybody's comments and it is completely shut down. And I've read their work. I really enjoyed it. And I moved on. <laughs> that was that. And I just. But I could that, so- you had no other outlet. But there right. are people in fandom. Who are very invested in their ability. To give you feedback. It's how they participate. And if you don't appreciate their feedback. They get really shitty. Yeah, Somebody asked me on Facebook one day. If I knew of a way to contact that author. And I was like. I'm not going to subvert their wishes. Go away. <laughs> what the fuck. And actually I did know. But I'm like, I'm not going to tell you that. Go away. What does it matter with you? I'm curious to know what they wanted to say. (laughs) I have no idea. Because I'm nosy. But, you know, people have, there there are some people that Kira has um, in her circular file permanently. They're filtered straight to the trash. Who have come to me and asked if I could pass on a message to Kira. And I'm like, no. For the record, never do that. If there is someone that cannot contact me who has no ability to to interact with me it's because i don't want them to so don't feel like you need to pass on messages that you get from them um just know because when i cut somebody off like that it's because they were excessively abusive so subverting i don't tolerate that shit night jeep so yeah i mean I would never subvert someone's wishes like that. Someone who's put, you know, clearly put out they don't want to be contacted. Um, but yeah, so when it comes to intrusive feedback, I believe me, I know that intrusive feedback, no matter how much you tell yourself what your boundaries are, and even if you delete it, which can be very, the first time you delete an intrusive comment, it can, you'll feel free because there, there's this, it does require kind of a psyching yourself up to delete a comment. I don't know why, but the first time I did it, I was like, oh, that actually felt kind of good. Why was that take me so long to do that? Um, but delete, delete, delete. Even if you delete it, <laughs> there are times when that just gets stuck in your head. It, it it's there. It's stuck. You're pissed off. Um, pop over to just right. Rant about it. Get some support. Figure out how you can figure out how to move on. Um, because these these comments can kind of um, can be can demoralize you and make it difficult to write. Yeah. Um, do you follow Sophia on YouTube? Yeah. She posted a uh, she posted a message on her channel um, 
and she has a blog post about um, how uh, how her life has you know changed because of how huge her YouTube channel got. It just boomed on her, and um, she talks about feedback and how um, people you know commenting on her weight or commenting. Um, telling people that she does, she talks too fast or she talks too slow or just, you know, just generally criticizing her and how she tries to ignore it, but it creeps in and that creeping can happen. Um, even if you delete it, you know, um, sometimes if I'm getting ready to post something, I worry, okay, is this the fix that ass was going to come back and comment on, but tell me I'm overrated again? Is, is this Brad going to come back? Oh, Brad can't come back. <clears throat> as entertaining as Brad was, he had he had to go. Bye, Brad. Um, but uh, one of the things that I decided very early on is that I was not going to participate in that craziness that you see where writers go and respond to every single comment they get, like it's some kind of requirement. I don't get that. I don't understand how that became a thing in fandom. Because um, it's kind of like, we've talked before about how the six or seven months that I take to write a novel like The Absence of War or um, the, all the time that I invested in Ties That Bind does not equal the amount of time a reader spends reading it. It really doesn't. And yet, and yet, I saw a thread, and actually, the funny thing is, this thread was started by somebody I actually thought I knew pretty well on Facebook. This was a couple years ago, um, and they basically said they're really pissed off when they leave a comment, and the author can't even say thank you because they took the time to comment, and the author can't even spare a moment to say thanks. Um, and that's when I was like, "Wow, you think that that comment makes us equal? It doesn't. It doesn't. Even if the story was only two thousand words, it doesn't." Because you got entertainment out of that. So even if it was short, you know, it just it was just such a bizarre thing for somebody to say. And honestly, to me, I could say just a thanks to every single comment. I could. That would be quick and easy. But that starts to feel, if all I'm ever saying is thanks to every single comment, how is that any different from saying nothing? You know what I mean? It's just, I, I find it to just be a weird thing. But, you know, when I was posting Emergence on AO3, I was getting a lot of comments at that time. And I had some other stories, a couple other stories that were up as well. And one day I spent, I was stuck in this mindset that I needed to respond to at least most of my feedback. And I spent like two and a half hours going through feedback. And, and I don't mean that in a bragging way. I mean it in an exhausted way. And I wasn't done. All my writing time for that day went to replying to feedback. And I was like, I can't. I just got to separate myself from this. I just can't do it and sometimes i do respond to comments and you know i'm in the i'm in a mood that day and i'm like i'm gonna go respond to comments or whatever something strikes especially if somebody says something that strikes me as funny um but anyway it is i love the feedback i get from my readers i, I love my readers but i just i can't devote and i'm never going to devote a bunch of time into patting them you know patting them yeah. on the head you know it's just i just I want to keep writing and it, it, it can be a very um, emotionally and mentally exhausting to, to engage with 50 or 60 different people at one time. Um, 
and not treat them all the same. And that's what I don't want to do. I don't want to treat everybody like they're the same, but actually engaging with a bunch of different people can also be very tiring. I am um, in one of my stories on my site, there are some references, something I not thought I would never put in a story is there's some references to some events around nine 11. And um, I warn people up front that, um, um, that there would be potentially trigger, there'd be nine 11 stuff in it. So they would be prepared if they didn't want to read it, they could skip it or, you know, to just be psych themselves up because that's a very difficult thing for some people to read. And um, I got uh, some really, you know, people commented about their experiences of nine 11. And it was a very contained thing. You know, it was one story. It was one event. This isn't in every story. And I, had some conversations with people in the comments about, you know, they would share their experience of 9-11 with me and I would talk to them about it. I couldn't do that kind of emotional bloodletting on every story. That story sticks out to me because I did engage and I don't regret any of the engagement I had um, because people were very genuine. They were very open. They were very um, moved and they were sharing their experience with me. And we there was some conversation there. That's all very charming. Sachi, I'll tell you something that this, this heifer did to me related to that particular story, which is gorgeous, by the way. Um, gorgeous. She told me that in every story where Tony isn't with Ethan, it's because he's dead. True. <laughs> I did tell her that. Well, <laughs> I was I like, know. what? What? So in all well, the stories where he's not with Ethan, it's because Ethan died in 9-11. And I'm like, how could you tell me that? Well, <laughs> you started. I think you're forgetting that you started. Because remember, e Catalyst is <sighs> not on my site. You, Catalyst was being written at the same time. And you had read Catalyst. And you read um, I'll Forgive. And you asked me, you said, so wait a minute. In Catalyst, Ethan's dead. And I said, yeah. And then I, and then I followed it up. and Because you, you drew the conclusion. I said, yeah, he's dead in Catalyst. And you're like, what? And I said, and then I added on. I said, in fact, it's my, my headcanon. That was Tony's first, you know, relationship. And then every story I've written, Ethan's dead. <laughs> she just stopped talking to me. <laughs> I put her in a timeout. <laughs> Total timeout. It's just ugly. But sometimes we have a headcanon like that, that um, is pervasive. And it's part of the characterization that um, that Jilly built for Tony, um, which is why when you read him, um, he's like a full-fledged human being on the page. And honestly, most of the time on the show, Tony is actually pretty one-dimensional. Yeah. We and get more out of Tony Donozo in fan fiction than we ever did in the canon of the show. And the times when he's not one-dimensional, they're so contrary to the time to the rest of it that it's like, who is that man? <coughs> yeah, like when he's being competent as fuck, running and shooting and actually hitting targets, and then the next day, come on now, come on. I mean, anytime he gets in a shootout, he's like super competent, and it's like, okay, where is this competence the rest of the time? Um, in the in the episode obsession, he was. He had a lot of depth there um, in Leap of Faith, also a lot of depth. So there's all these episodes where it's like, certainly Baltimore, ton of depth for Tony. Uh, but it's like, where is that the rest of the time? It almost feels contradictory to him and the others. So with a character like that, where they basically give you um, very little to work with, what you do, how you flesh the character out in your own bio for them is 
is is almost more important than anything you heard in the show. And honestly, because the show is also contradictory for Tony. Um, they change repeatedly. They change where he went to school. They change um, his school history. It changes. I mean, they have him. And I, I find these these things to be contradictory, okay? Is that it's canon that he was kicked out of a bunch of boarding schools. It's also canon that he was kind of skinny, quiet, and was bullied a lot up to his graduation. Um, kids that are skinny, quiet, and get bullied a lot tend to not be the kind of troublemakers that get expelled from boarding school after boarding school. That doesn't make any sense. So canon also has him having, I think, two different birthdays, 72 and 68 whatever. Ken also has him, up until the point we actually meet Genozo Sr., um, having in a very abusive relationship with his father. And then, then, they, then they retconned it because of the casting. Yeah. So as a writer, you have to make your own choices. And I like to make careful, concise choices about um, my character's background, um, because I like to follow through with that characterization throughout my work. Now, something I'm currently working on, um, my main character has this issue. Um, and it's a pretty severe issue um, that he has in canon that I'm correcting throughout my project. And he has to come to terms with the, with, with the fact that he has behaved um, terribly in the past. And that he has um, had this bias based on trauma um, that he let um, be a very corruptive influence in his life. And and it's not instantly resolved. It, you're pulling the thread through the and showing the growth rather than just going, oh, I realize it and I'm over it. Which is not really how change works, usually. Um, you don't usually go, oh, I, I have this deeply embedded... Um, way of dealing with things because of bad things that have happened to me. But now that I see that it is dysfunctional, I'm going to stop doing it. it Shadow, I would love to tell you all about it. I would. I am busting. But I can't. Because if I I, I think that I'm probably, I, I just can't. I just can't. It would, it would, she can't. Yeah. I can't. Even, even, even the hint you were about to give would have been a complete giveaway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't. But I'm super fucking excited. But having this character with this with this flaw um, from canon that I can work with and explore and explore the emotions around um, what this character has done in the past and how this character feels um, as he's moving through um, his life and, and all these changes that are happening. And it's, you know, it's really rewarding. Yeah, it's sort of like um, if you were, let's say you, let's say you were a Scott McCall person. Um, I know you're not, but go with me on this journey. Um, if, let's, say you're, <laughs> let's say you were writing a, a Scott, Scott-centric or Scott POV type story. And, and remind me to say the thing about, I have something to say about Scott. But can you imagine if Scott had a realization about his male authority figure and his daddy issues and had dealt with it uh, and started dealing with it, how things would have gone differently with Derek? Because I really believe if... Scott uh, had been bitten by a female alpha that he would have not been the douchebag that he was. He just had an issue with male authority figures. So Scott would have rolled over like a puppy for a male alpha for, um, for, for a female alpha. Right. So 
but he had issues with male authority figures because of his daddy issues. So if he had dealt with that and had been working on how he responded to men rather than just reflexively, you can't tell me what to do. Um, this it would have been very different for Scott. And I know that there's a lot of people who there there Scott's one of those very polarizing characters. People love him or hate him for the most part. There are people who just don't give a fuck, but I mean the people who love him are like rabid about it um and defending him and the people who can't stand him just either don't write him in the story or he dies an unfortunate death uh but one thing about scott i want to i did this is something i just want to point out i read a story and i kind of had to put it aside because they were dealing with scott it was a season season two ish kind of divergence and they're dealing with scott and the consequences for scott's actions were bullying social social isolation uh, it was really bad. It was like the worst kinds of teenage behavior. And I was reading it. And I had to put it aside because it was actually really upsetting me how badly. And granted, Scott's actions were terrible. But the way he was being treated was worse. And I kind of, you know, part of me, I had to close the, close the story before I said to the author, Scott is 16. He's an idiot. Yes, but he's 16. And being 16 is not does not forgive you or excuse certain things but it explains some stuff right 16 year old boys do not have a fully developed even 16 year old girls frankly girls brains develop faster in that part of the brain where you this is the decision making part of the brain um but boys it can be as late as 22 23 24 even 25 years old so a 16 year old boy is not going to be great for decision making so this scott that this person hated and is treating so badly is 16 um and it just felt deeply ugly so i i think people can take a dislike of a character too far way too I've far i've experienced that in criminal minds in a story in criminal minds and i i, I had to put it down I had to put it down. And I've seen it in stories with actually Harry Potter too, where like obviously an author hates like Ron and, and, and you, you easily bash the best of them. But in like in one of your stories, you have the character actually remind themselves, this is a Ron who hasn't done anything yet. He's right. just a kid. I hate him for what he did in the future, but right now he's just a child. And I see no acknowledgement of that with some of, and I don't mean all of them, but there's quite a few stories that bash the fuck out of Scott. And sometimes I can find some Scott bashing very therapeutic, but I mean, this was hard and it was, he was definitely 16 in that story. And I was like, mm, too much. I killed Ron in Broccoli Loyal. Um, but in that particular scene, it Hermione came out of it believing that she did it, but she didn't. Zir did. Because Rom was going to kill her and Zir knew that. Um, and Zir tells Harry in the Chamber of Secrets that he made her act. He forced her to do to to react because she wasn't reacting. Um, but he did it. Uh, when I wrote, when I plotted Darkly Loyal, I made a kill list. <laughs> and Ron Weasley was on. I mean, they all were. I mean, everybody that I killed in Dr. Lowell was on that kill list. And I, you know, I made a database. I have an Excel spreadsheet that explained who, who, who what chapter they were going to die in, who was going to do it, and how they were affiliated. Like, if they were, like, part of the Trinity, or if it was a Death Eater, or if it, you know, I mean, it was ridiculous. 
But Darkly Loyal is way off the curve. I mean, it is not. It is. It is. It is, it is not a typical deal with Ron kind of fic, right? No. Um, so when you look at something that's a little bit more conventional in your work, I mean, I don't see you, um, you know, having 14, 15 year old Harry. Um, usually if Ron is cut out of their life, he goes off and makes other friends. He doesn't sink into a deep depression and try to kill himself. Um, it's no, just- um, there, there is a story that I'm right, that I was writing, um, where Zier and Harry and Hermione travel back in time because, um, Harry was, um, the light bearer and he wasn't there on earth to manage magic and magic is dying. Um, and they land in, uh, their third year. So they're 13. Um, Hermione would turn 14 that year. Um, and Zier's furious with Ron because Ron murdered Harry in the future and he's the reason that magic almost died. Um, this is called Black Dragon. It might have been up on um, Evil Author Day at one point. But anyway, the point is is that there, there comes a point when Zier tells Harry that he has to act, that he has to interfere with what's going on with Ron um, so that he doesn't have to kill him. Um, and so Harry manipulates him with magic. Zier's magic. He directs Zier's magic and they manipulate him and change his personality so he won't be a fucked up asshole who murders his best friend by shooting him in the back. <laughs> yeah. I, it's and, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, I was, was going to say that when it comes to <coughs> like Harry Potter, fandoms with, with teenagers in them, I think sometimes I read them and I think that people forget how old these characters are. And they write them, they write 15, 16, 17, or even 14 year olds like they were 25 and with the kind of consequences that a 25 year old face. And depending upon, yes, there are some offensive that, offenses that even in the real world, you know, judicial system would treat a 16 year old like an adult, but these are not the offenses that we see Scott commit, right? Typically um, he's disloyal. He's um, he has real issues with body autonomy. And that episode was Gerard and, and Derek. So it, it is a, it's a matter of this comes back to characterization, right? And it's not about Scott's characterization. It's about everybody else's when everybody, including the adults like Derek, who is an adult participate in, in almost what becomes like abuse and bullying of a character. It doesn't reflect poorly on Scott. It reflects poorly on the characters that ostensibly you want us to like. So that's something to bear in mind about characterization um, is don't make your good guys, the bad guys inadvertently. Um, I can't tell you the number of stories I've read um, where the good guy to me seems more villainous than the bad guy. So that's just something to think about is when you're characterizing is how do you want your, your good guys to be reflected through their actions. And when they're treating a 16 year old boy, um, when they're bullying him and abusing him, regardless, you know, unless he did something so criminal that he should be in jail, it reflects poorly on, <coughs> on styles. And I agree, Derek is probably emotionally stunted, but he is still an adult. There's, there's a difference between being kind of like an emotionally behind the curve because of his life experiences. He's still responsible for, he still lived more years. Honestly, I think the person who's probably the most emotionally stunted is Peter. Especially if you buy into that timeline where he's only seven years older than Derek, which means he's basically the same age after spending six years in a coma. Yeah. Um, it's really important that your good guy 
I think sometimes people get attached to the idea that so-called SmackDown, which I hate. I hate that term. Um, but when you make your your good guy, your protagonist, abusive in their language or in their actions, it's it's really disturbing. Now, Rodney in canon is blunt. He's arrogant. Um, he's insulting. He's easily frustrated. Um, he's impatient. But I would not say he's verbally or emotionally abusive. But sometimes in fan fiction, when he goes off on somebody, that's the turn it takes. Yeah. And it starts There's being about professional concerns and it becomes this personal thing that he's attacked. And it's just, it's just ugly. I've read some fic where Rodney says things that are so misogynistic to his female team members that I just kind of sit there with my mouth hanging open and going, I know this author had to think that was good character voice, but I am just so appalled. Um, Rodney didn't care what you had in your pants. He wanted to know what you had in your head. And most of the time right. he was disappointed. Yeah. One time it was a comment, something like, like, you know, to get out of his lab and she could come back when her period was over and her brain was working again. Wow. I was like, Oh my God. I was just, I was so, I was so startled that I was like, Rodney, you've just you've gone from being kind of snarky and mean to just being a terrible human being, and I don't want to want to read this. And you, you have to just some people think you know associate badass with bitch or badass with asshole. And you know if you can't write somebody being a badass without being abusive, um, you need to work on your characterization skills a little bit more because and your dialogue skills. Yeah, but I think sometimes people use um, turn like language in their dialogue that they really don't know how harsh it is, which is why I think it's important to read your dialogue out when you're first getting started, and if dialogue's a problem for you, to continue to read it out because you're not only going to catch awkward things, you're going to catch ugly things because if it's difficult for you to say, for whatever reason, should your character be saying it? I mean, it's just a question. Yeah, I agree, Sachi. It, it is terrible when people assume powerful does not mean bitchy or violent. And if it does, <clears throat> make that be a deliberate choice. And honestly, it's really something more villainous than it is. It's more of an antagonist type trait, because that is one of the ways you cra craft a, a good villain, right? Is that they use their power for bad things. So you don't want your good guy to be, you don't want your protagonist to be emulating antagonist type traits. Um, but so many times, some fandoms particularly love the SmackDown. I particularly, and I've come to really dislike that word because anytime I have a come to Jesus meeting in a story um, or a reckoning. Someone's going to fucking comment. It's a great oh, SmackDown. Great SmackDown. I'm like, <laughs> please stop. <laughs> uh, and I know that. <laughs> I don't, at the end of your fic, P.S. I hate the words SmackDown. <laughs> Yeah. And I know they mean it positively. It's sort of like, I love the way this is done, but I don't think I write Smackdowns because I, I don't do that to people. Um, Tony has never thrown a stapler in her fic. No. And Tony has never um, chewed his entire team out in the middle of the bullpen for everybody to hear. That's not something I would write. He would pull his per people aside. And, and I mean, I wrote just a short where Tony had something to say to Gibbs. And he took him to a conference room to do it. Because I just, because I've worked in a professional environment, and you just don't, you don't behave that way. Also, you don't behave that way in any work environment. Can you imagine if you've ever heard a manager chew out an employee publicly, and how I, most of us have had this experience? Um, 
how uncomfortable you are, it's because it's not acceptable behavior. Your level of discomfort with that action is reflective of how inappropriate it is. So don't write it. Don't write it. And yet people do. You have to be really careful. That's what, that's what we're saying. Because it speaks to your character and it can create a character that you don't mean to create. And this can be worse in an AU situation where you're trying to find your find your legs as it is or find your sea legs with your character. Is don't steer them. Be careful not to steer them in an abusive direction while you're trying to do, you know, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish with them. Um, with Rodney, you got Rodney, you're trying to show Rodney being snarky and a little bit mean, and you turn him into an absolute raging asshat. And nobody nobody likes him anymore. And they're going to think it has something to do with your story, and it really is just all about your characterization. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Ellie. Um, <clears throat> I do think that there's a like there's a fine line when it comes to a character like Rodney or a character like House, um, um, or even a character like the uh, the modern version of Sherlock Holmes for the BBC um, version, um, where there's a thin line between um, their behavior that's acceptable and their behavior that is abusive. One of my favorite lines, and it is ugly, but one of my favorite lines in Sherlock is when he tells that guy to shut up because he's lowering the IQ for the entire street. It's that... so ugly. <laughs> but it tells you a lot about Sherlock, right? That tells you a lot about him. Um, Number one, he hates that guy. He really, he does. And it also tells you that he just doesn't filter the 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 shitty things he thinks about people and that he will cross the line so you learn a lot about him very quickly but you just have to be careful not to let that go to the point where he becomes unlikable um like there are some characters i don't know how you could possibly write them without writing them abusively because they're pretty abusive in canon and like cal lightman from lie to me um i've not watched it oh god he was a raging <laughs> ass hat from the jump i, I found the know. premise off-putting so i didn't watch it <laughs> I find the idea of um, yeah he is horrible I find the idea of that kind of thing interesting but they just made him so unappealing and so unlikable that it just you know I enjoyed him for the first season Shadow but I it got to the point I actually stopped watching because I could not even though I was watching them a week apart I could not deal with how horrible he was um Earlier in the year, Jilly and I both, independently of each other, binge watched The Closer. <laughs> yeah, almost at the same time. Yeah, I didn't even know it. Um, and the thing is, is that I love Brenda Lee Johnson as a character. I, I think she's really interesting and great. But there comes a point in the series where you start thinking to myself, you start thinking, Brenda, you're so mean. <laughs> Why are you like this? I lost I lost it with her over the episode where she goes to visit her parents at Christmas and she tells her parents that she's coming to visit and they cancel their plans to be with her. And what she's really doing out there is to get a witness out of jail. Um, and she basically lies to her parents. And when they confront her about the lie, she denies lying to them, which she did. And because they canceled 
they canceled Christmas with their other kids to be with her because they see her less, right? And she actually was never planning to stay for Christmas. She planned to just pick up her prisoner and take him back to California. So her parents confront her about her shitty behavior. So she basically ropes everybody into helping her make her lie to her parents, not a lie. You okay? I think Kira choked on her tea. Um, but I just was like, wait, night lady holder. Um, but I was like, Brenda, what are you doing to your parents? Uh, how could you, how could you? And then she ruined uh, Provenza and uh, Flynn's Christmas as well as, uh, as you know, well I mean, as them. Provenza and Flynn deserved it. <laughs> They're terrible. They do deserve it. But um, this, well, <laughs> this was, this was, this was many seasons after the dead body in the garage. So, you know. Right. But still, they, they still have that shit coming. Um, yeah. I, lemonade went down the wrong hole. And if there's it did anything sound like worse than something acidic going down the wrong hole, I don't know what, what what I do know what it is. It was that time that Azure made me snort cantaloupe. There, yeah. <laughs> I made her snort a powdered donut once, <laughs> <laughs> which was apparently quite messy. It was very messy, but not as painful as the cantaloupe. And like I've been doing drugs, yeah. So. But, you know, I was so, the thing is, I've been binge watching and I was already kind of fed up with her manipulation. But in that episode, she also lied about this, this, her witness's brother being murdered. She told her this, she staged her witness's brother's murder to convince him to cooperate with her. And she was just so, she was at her absolute worst, right? And I had been binge watching her and her manipulation. I just was like, Brenda Lee, I am so done with you. <laughs> They just took it too far. And that's You're what you, in a timeout. <laughs> and you can do that with a character pretty easily is when you've got a character who's got extremes of behavior, you can take them too far and you don't realize you've gone too far. And this is where a little bit of time after you've written something before you post it is a good idea. And also that you read your dialogue out loud because there's some dialogue that I know if that author had read it out loud that it wouldn't have made it wouldn't have made it on the screen. One of the more interesting moments for me in my rewatch of The Closer, remember the scene where she's wearing the wire and she's in her new house that used to be a murder victim's house? And um, <laughs> you did almost kill me with that, wire, that cantaloupe. It was terrible. Um, but she's, she's, in the, she's in this new house that she got from a murder victim, um, cheap. And her and uh, Fritz are on the, Fitz or Fritz are on the Fitz. couch. Fitz. They're on the couch and... Um, this was the episode where it, it, they her team found out that she'd been investigated by the IA in Atlanta, and she'd been yeah. cleared. Well, her husband had accused her of having an affair with someone on the job. In rewatching that episode and watching their body language, and when she tells Fitz, they said, "Well, the problem is, is it was kind of true. I was attracted to this. It was Fitz." It is Fritz. Sorry, and I, and I, I, Fritz. I did not know that she'd that. She, he was the reason she got investigated by IA in, in Atlanta for the Free Atlanta PD because she was attracted to him and her husband saw it and accused her of having an affair with him. And that wasn't clear to me the first time I watched it. But she's being all flirty and telling him that, yeah, well, you know, it was kind of true because it was him. And I was like, you could have been a little less subtle with that, actually. I didn't get it the first time I watched it. Yeah, I didn't get it the first time either. Um, but actually, her past romantic history was such a clusterfuck Hot on that mess. show. Oh, that girl. 
because he was on the job with her hearse. It was Fitz was on the job and it was um, her husband accused her of having an affair with another officer. Agent. Agent. I'm not sure if he actually worked with the PD or if he was at the FBI at the time. Um, well, he didn't become PD until later. He was with the FBI, but they were working. At well, least they working together. In some I don't fashion. know what he was in Atlanta, but he came. He eventually became PD for LA. But there's no telling. Right. He, I don't know what he was in Atlanta. Well, I don't think it. I would imagine he was still FBI because it's not an easiest trans go cop FBI right. cop. That's a little. So weird, it might have been that um, he was a liaison for the Atlanta PD, the way he was in Los Angeles, and um, and that could cause some serious issues, which would explain the internal affairs investigation. But she did not actually have an affair with him. Um, she did bang Pope, but she wasn't married at the time. He was. Which grows. Come on. Which was gross. later. Yeah, the, the infidelity on the show was just sort of like rampant. Um, I was so worried that she was going to cheat on him with Pope. I know. Me too. I'm glad they didn't do that. They kind of teased it for season after season after season and then didn't go there. And I was like, thank fuck. But my favorite, this is my husband's favorite part too, is that she kept that gift in the drawer and, and didn't open it. And then that lawyer took it I know. and he opened it in front of her and didn't show her what it was. And she asked him and he wouldn't tell her. Yeah. And he's like, he's like looking really impressed that he's like, oh, and she's like, what is it? And he's like, I can't tell you that. <laughs> he takes it. Because <laughs> you've never, you never received this gift. So they can't ask you any questions on this deposition about it. She's like, but it's open. I want to know. And he's like, nope. He just walks out. He was such that lawyer cracked me up every time he was on the show. I loved him. I think he's great. Yeah, but I mean that that was sometimes they took this character it, canon Brenda Lee and they took her too far. Even even for her own characterization, I think they took her too far. Um, so it's just something you got to kind of bear in mind with characterization. Is we know that most shows don't have a good character bible. They don't do anything to make sure their characters stay in character. Um, you know. They don't have anybody going, well, would this character really do that based upon what we've established about them before? They they just, their characters become plot devices, which is how characters become caricatures. Do better. You can. You can do better. Like, That's what, like House. Like how, House definitely became a caricature. All the NCIS cast became caricatures. Um, but if you want to take a master class in story building and characterization and following through, watch Babylon, Babylon. 5. Yeah. One of my favorite moments, there are two of them, is when Veer is talking to that guy who works for the Shadows, and he's telling him what he's going to do in the future when the guy's head's on a pike and he's going to wave. And then later, he actually gets to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Go wave at your head. Fucking amazing. But Babylon 5 and the movies, you'll there's a you'll you won't watch them in order, so look that up because the movies are kind of intermersed in between the um seasons of the show. Um, but watching the characterization and the story development in Babylon 5 is a tour de force. I mean, it is amazing. The special effects don't hold up well. I'm not gonna lie. Um, it is dated when it comes to that. But the characters, Even the story. It's like it unfolds like a book, which and is things unusual. That in, in a, the movie, resolve themselves in the last. It's stunning, yeah. <clears throat> and, and they they um, it's unusual in a TV show that is is as long running as that one was. Um, usually, for a TV show to be that tight, it's one or two seasons. 
Yeah. Um, the characterization think- choices and and the follow through is amazing. It's just. I actually think um, in terms of for a show kind of staying on point was Midnight Texas kind of stayed in the lane that they established from the first season. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they, you know, it ended, I think they only went two seasons. And I think, I mean, I, I would have probably still watched, but they, they got to, they got to the logical, they resolved the stuff that had been put out there in the first season, right? It all got resolved. And, and you're like, okay, that actually felt like a good thing. It wasn't like, um, how Firefly ended, where you're just kind of like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm not satisfied. Get back on. <laughs> I'm still not satisfied. Be honest. We got a movie, but no, the fa- no, the movie didn't. The movie just big chunks of the movie. I just am denial about. So no, that didn't help. That leaf is not on the wind. Okay, With it's not. Is not dead. Fuck you. Fuck all that. But I'll tell you what. When Farscape ended. When they did to us what they did to us with Farscape, because Farscape wasn't told that they were canceled until after the season finale was in the can. And so when it ends, Crichton and Aaron have been blown to their atoms. They've been blown up. They've been shot with an alien weapon and they're basically pieces. They shattered. Right in the middle of her telling him that she will marry him. And I think he told she told him she was pregnant too, right? Yes, yes. Because they look for the baby. Because the baby ends up on... Anyway. Um, (laughs) So here she is. She's pregnant. She's agreed to marry him. We're also beautifully excited. And everything's lovely. They're on on this sweet little boat. And this beautiful ocean. And Moya's getting whatever she needs from the ocean. And everything's great and fantastic. Then they blow her up. They they blow them up. And it was like... Wait. Because no. That's the last we get. That's all we get. Because we knew by the time it aired. That the show had been cancelled. This is what we get. And Dargo is screaming. And the fucking show. And we were like. I cried. I was I was furious. I was so upset. I, and then they gave us this movie. They gave us this mini, this uh, two part. Uh, Kick ass. In your face movie. And I loved it. And it was great. And sometimes they do that. And it wraps things up for you. And you're like okay. I'm, I'm good. And then sometimes they do that. And it's more like serenity. And you're like I'm not good. But, but Dargo isn't dead. He's just in the wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of like, I mean, think about how criminal mind suspect behavior ended. Because they got canceled after. I blocked uh, it out. I don't remember how they ended. Well, somebody was going to get shot and there's one of two people and one of them. And, and like, then they go to black and you hear a gunshot and you don't know who died. And that was the end of the series. Not just the end of the season, the end of the series. So they, it's like, who's dead? I mean, they had set they set they had set the circumstances up that somebody had to die. It was going to be one of two people, and then they cut to black, and you hear a gunshot. And clearly, they intended for that to be the cliffhanger because Criminal Minds is notorious for for cliffhanger seasons, right? They mm-hmm. clearly intended that to be the cliffhanger for the season. And then they'll resolve it in the first episode of the next season, except they got canceled, and there was never any resolution ever. You talk about resolution. Did you watch Glades? Don't watch Glades. Don't watch the Glades. Great fucking show. I loved it. I loved the main character. Um, I was really happy and excited. And they end they they ended the season finale, which ended up being the series finale, with the main character shot in the gut, bleeding out on on his wedding day, and no one knew where he was. Well, they left him perfect. bleeding out in the house he bought. He bought his woman her dream house. 
and he went to check it because he was going to take her to it after the wedding. And he got shot in her dream house and he's bleeding out on the floor and no one knows where he is. And that's how the fucking series ended. It's ugly. That's I think supernatural, supernatural should just end with the planet exploding. Let's <laughs> fuck it all up. I haven't watched it. I never watched any of it. I'm speculating. But no spoilers. Well, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I don't follow Supernatural either, but I'm hoping that for all the things those boys have been through, that they give Dean and Sam a good ending. That would be the right thing to do for the fans, honestly. They can ride off into the sunset. Because, I mean, that's one of the things. Is I'm like, I some, there's, there's, there's something about um, Supernatural has had a very loyal fan following. And they've done a lot of stuff that's kind of like acknowledging their fans. And I just, I don't think you honor your fans by giving them a shitty ending. So here we just, you know, they just, they just need to do better than that. And I, I, I'm pretty sure they will because they've just engaged too much with their fans over the years to not, to, to have the ending be something that is anything less than satisfying. I just have to cross my fingers on that. You know, we should was, do a challenge called and then <laughs> and fix all the shows that ended badly. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, you know, the problem is there are too many people who are already in and then mode. We don't need to encourage them. <laughs> yeah, I was telling I was telling somebody the other day. I don't remember how we got on this, but they said something about I don't know. They were just somebody was saying something kind of along the lines of that I didn't know what it was like to have faith in something or something like that. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember how it came up that way, but they just kind of spit that out because they didn't like something I had said. It wasn't exactly a fight, and um, I shot back and said, "Every time you bite into a burrito, it's an act of faith." Um, <laughs> which they were not amused by. Um, but that's a fucking hundred percent true, right? I mean, you don't know what's in there, so <laughs> you just are hoping it's what you ordered. Um, but like I said, they didn't think it was funny, but I did. But that's speaking of, I, I have only had Chipotle once, like years ago, like maybe even a decade ago, until recently. And me and my husband ordered it on DoorDash because we didn't want to cook, and DoorDash is banging highly recommend it um and so we got chipotle and it was the best fucking thing i'd eaten ever in like years i mean it was just so good i thought it was because i was hungry or because it was just what was fucking amazing i got the protein bowl and it had black beans and steak and chicken and <sighs> i mean sometimes you get a good good chipotle the food's really good generally i don't really care for them but um it was just really good i was like what the hell is this I spent most of my life living in Texas and California where we actually have really good Mexican food. Mm -hmm. So Chipotle is a little bit like, well, if the good Mexican food is not available, I guess we could go there. Uh, <laughs> but if you live somewhere... It's just a, sometimes just that, sometimes something just hits you just right. And it's just like the most amazing thing you've ever put in your mouth. And you're just like, what? Not me, as. But anyway. Look, as my hand hurts. I cannot actually grip a spatula right now. You should have seen me flipping pancakes this morning. It was a disaster. Fortunately, my husband ate them anyway, even if they were, I mean, they were fluffy. They tasted good, but they weren't the prettiest things I'd ever made. And I make fucking pretty pancakes normally because I spent four years working for the International House of Pancakes. And if you work for the International House of Pancakes, you should at least leave it being able to make pancakes. Right? 
Um, but no, what I was saying about the burrito thing is that, you know, every time you watch the fir- a, a, a new show, the first season of a new show that is still, you know, they've put it out there and it's like, oh, this looks interesting. It's kind of like biting into that first bite of a burrito. You're taking it on faith that this is going to end well and it's going to keep going. And sometimes it's Firefly. <laughs> You're like, everybody loves it. Reasons, I think I lost my faith because I just don't actually watch TV anymore. I don't watch any sci-fi property on Fox. You can't ever. trust Fox. No. I mean, we've learned our lesson, right? There was Terra Nova. Firefly. Um, Firefly. John Doe. Yeah. I mean, it's just like almost, almost human. human. Fuck you. <laughs> just fuck you. I was, I was digging almost human. Oh, God. I loved it. I so wanted the answers to all of these questions we had. And then it ended. It just, it just was done. And it was like... I hate you. One day I'm going to write a really filthy, almost human fic. No, I think Hannibal was on NBC. Wasn't Hannibal NBC? Yeah. Uh, <coughs> I gotta look. I think it was NBC. It definitely wasn't Fox. NBC. Yeah, it was NBC. Alien I, Nation. They have a history. They even had... Um, I mean, it's just... They buy sci-fi and, you know, ideas, and then and then they tank them after one season. Even if they're popular, Almost Human had really good ratings, and so the fuck did Firefly. Um, Fringe lasted a while, though. Of course, Fringe had a blonde white girl running it. Just saying. I was looking at a list of what people consider the best Fox TV shows, and I'm like, meh, 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 meh. I mean, really? Hell's Kitchen? I think I mean, the uh, the UK almost human and what we're talking about aren't the same thing. But you're talking about the one where it was a ghost, a werewolf, and a vampire living together. No, I'm, no, I'm. We're talking about the the one with the with the, the robot, android, the ro- androids, and the and the cop. Yeah, with Carl, the Carl Urban Ur- and Michael Early. Is that yeah, Early. Ely. Ely. He's beautiful. Two beautiful right? men doing beautiful things with guns. It had so much potential. I'm going to write a fic where John bangs that robot. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. I'm putting it out there. It's going to happen. <laughs> or maybe that robot will bang him. I don't know. One of the two. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this <laughs> list of like, it says best 25 um, Fox TV shows of all times. And I'm like, most of it, I'm like deeply unimpressed. Um, <clears throat> just don't, just don't trust them. Um, houses on the list. Just don't trust them with, with, with TV. Just, just don't. But anyway, when it comes to your AU, you are going to, whatever you're going to do, you're going to get some people who are going to hate on it. Just be prepared for that. Um, it's more important. The most important thing with writing AU from a characterization perspective is that you've got your world and you've got your characters and then it all is internally consistent. Your character makes sense with your world. Um, your characters make sense in your world and that their backstory um, makes sense in how they're, they've developed and that the world they live in has affected them, that they are not just cookie cutters of the way they were in canon. And if you do all that and you do it all great and you do it like to the very best of your ability, um, you're still going to get people who are going to hate on it because that's what they like to do. They derive immense satisfaction from getting, giving you their deeply considered opinion of something they never planned to like to begin with. Assholes. They're assholes. Right. So just be, you got to be prepared for that and just be prepared to just go, just double bird them and move on. And if you're having a hard time moving on, you know, that's, that's where your, your community helps. Well, 
we'll support you through it. Because I need more AUs. They're glorious. I um I really love an AU. I love time travel. I'm looking forward to next year. We're gonna have so much fun. It's gonna be so much fun. We're gonna do soulmates, paranormal, and time travel for rough trade next year. And time travel is my jam. Time travel is gonna be fun. I plotted like three or four time mm. travel things recently, and I'm like, I can just save one of these for next year. I I don't even know what I'm going to write next year. I'm not. I planned this year and it didn't go well. I'm not going to do any planning until the actual time to sign up. I yeah. just. I mean, I have a lot of zero drafts I can play with and work with. Um, I'll have plenty of time to zero draft before the challenge starts. Um, I'm, this year, I'm not sure if it was the planning that bit me in the ass or just that the the year the Sentinel wound up just not working out for me this year. Well, 2020 has been a dumpster fire. Let's just let's just say that. Um, let's have the rest of this conversation off the podcast. Okay. Um, we'll end the podcast right here. I hope that it's been very helpful and um, that you learned a lot and um, that your um, that your writing um, during this time is um, a sanctuary. Because mine is, and um, I, I, I want that for all of you as well. Um, thank you for joining us, and I hope you have a fantastic week. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>